get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. the 2-0 and a swing and a ball hit to deep left field and Atlanta strikes early. Solaire lines a rocket into the Crawford boxes and three pitches into game one of the World Series. The Braves have a one to nothing lead. This gets so many ground balls. Now this one is smoked to left and it's gone. Adam Duval sent that one into the Crawford boxes in a heartbeat. And Atlanta touches up Valdez again, and the Braves are out in front five to nothing. There goes Altuve and a swing and a ground ball to second. Drop picked up by Albies and on to first in time, and the Braves will win it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night right here on your home for the World Series 101 ESPN as the Braves win game one, six to two in Houston. Alex, I'm stunned. I'm I'm taken aback. I didn't think this was coming. I have counted the Braves out at every turn. I thought the Brewers were going to beat them. I thought the Dodgers were going to beat them. I picked the Astros to beat them in the World Series. And maybe the Astros still will. It's only one game. But the Braves looked like the better team last night. And what I've been impressed by is the way that they have certain players on their team that just seem to step up when the moments get the biggest. Ozzy Albies has been great for them. And Eddie Rosario has been outstanding since day one of the postseason. He has 15 hits now over his last six games. That is tied, Alex, for the second most hits in a six-game span in a single postseason ever, ever in the history of the sport. And I feel like there is something. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is something that is a through line for the guys that are having success in the playoffs. When you look at some of the top hitters so far this postseason, it's Kike Hernandez, it's Eddie Rosario, it's Tim Anderson, Wander Franco, Cody Bellinger, Chris Taylor. These guys are all fearless. You hear stories about them and they just they don't make the moment bigger than it is. And as we localize this to the Cardinals, these are the types of players that I would like to see them acquire this offseason. You don't got to get four of them. That's what I said. I want World Series experience, BK. I'm not even necessarily saying it has to be a guy that's been there. You've got to have somebody that's fearless. Like when I watch Eddie Rosario as a hitter, he has the same approach in the regular season that we're seeing right now in the playoffs. Now it's paying off for him in a big way right now. And this is just a really hot streak. But the same thing is true of Tim Anderson and Kike Hernandez, even when he was with the Dodgers and now with him being in Boston. 
I don't know who that guy is. I can't pinpoint it. But there's going to be multiple players that are available this offseason that profile similarly to what we're watching right now from an Eddie Rosario, from in the ALCS, Kike Hernandez. And those are the types of players that I want to see the, the Cardinals go out there and look at this offseason. Well, I think it does a lot to have a player like that because I think it takes the pressure off other guys of having to be the heroes, right? Because you came into the season looking at Goldschmidt, Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, those guys being the heroes. And if you look at it, what Arenado has had a couple of playoff moments, but it hasn't gone that far. Same with Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill was brand new to this scenario. And if you look at the Atlanta Braves right now, I mean, uh, pretty much their entire roster was in this situation last season, but they just didn't get to the World Series after the Dodgers came back. But then you add other pieces to it that you're right, that just have that they have that ability to not worry about it being the biggest stage or making the mistake. Or, it almost feels small for them. It does, especially Eddie Rosario. Like watching Eddie Rosario, it, it feels like he's he's playing like youth ball right now. Like he just does. It seems to be that he is a hundred percent in on everything that's happening, and it doesn't make the stage bigger than what it is. But for me, if you get one guy that's like that. I think it takes the pressure off everybody else. And frankly, it's a trickle-down effect. When the one guy's performing on the World Series stage and you see him that, well, this guy's not acting like this is too big of a stage for him, everyone else gets a little bit more comfortable that goes into it. So, yeah, I think that is the one major necessity this upcoming offseason. And we've already talked about how big the bat it needs to be. But it's got to be a guy who, who can perform at this level without having the spotlights on him and crumbling. Yeah, and I, I'm with you 100%. You know, you mentioned it's like the one guy doesn't and everybody else kind of relaxes because you you look at a playoff series or you look at the World Series, it, it's usually what are we talking about? We're talking about usually just one guy. And then we and then you kind of have the team play pretty well with them, but they're not playing as well as that guy. And that's the guy you focus on. Like the 2011 World Series run, what do you remember? David Freeze. I mean, that team played well all, all around him, but you only remember the guy. So it takes off the pressure. I remember Albert as well. He was pretty good. I mean, he had a three-home run Albert? game. <laughs> no, the other Albert. Oh, yeah, I don't know what Jeff. I think doing we remember then. the other Albert a little more fondly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But uh, but you have that one guy takes all the pressure off him with you. The, the team kind of relaxes, kind of it just goes back to no a normal baseball game. And you need that one guy that looks like Giancarlo Stanton in that Sprint commercial where he's just mashing <laughs> off a little leaguers. Yeah, it, that's a great comp. It's also internal competition too. Like I think the Braves have an interesting scenario that you know everybody's not going to be playing all nine innings, especially if you're an outfielder, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall on top of Jorge Soler. Like it's internal competition because one guy knows that they're not going to be in the next night. So they say, okay, well, how am I going to make sure that I get into the lineup? Whereas some teams, you have your three outfielders. I think the internal competition is actually something that can benefit a baseball team. I think team. that's a really important point because it's okay to have four good outfielders. Like, I feel like sometimes we're having the conversation about the Cardinals and it's like, yeah, they could maybe get a fourth outfielder. No, they could really use a fourth outfielder. It's okay. Like, if they go get Jock Peterson this offseason, it's okay to have a fourth really good outfielder. Like, you can do that. Well, he believes he's it. a bad MFer, too. And that's another guy that he, when the postseason oh, comes around. T Bone. I got it. I want a player like Jock Peterson who's running around there looking ridiculous with the pearls around his neck. Maybe a little too exciting for me. <laughs> too much for you? Yeah, too much. <laughs> okay. He's too much for the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah you're right. He's a more like boring blah guy. No, that's like what I Cole don't Calhoun. want. No, no. Yeah. Boring blah means for Tanner injured all the time. Okay, good. Yeah. That's what I wanted. To, just needed to figure it out. I need guys that come in and bring the energy. I, I want somebody that is fearless. I want somebody that's going to come in and they're like, oh, it's October baseball. Sweet. 
I can't wait to show out on the biggest stage right now. It's Jocktober baseball. Maybe that's what it is. Too much. Too much. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, that's not blah. From the 314 in the Air Comfort Service tax line of 65780. BK, so are you sure that you want to see these types of players on the Cardinals? I thought what you liked was watching inconsistent outfielders that can only play defense. That's unfair. That's actually 100% spot on more than anything. I resent it. I don't appreciate Harrison it. Harrison Bader, give him a 10-year contract extension. I 300 I, mil. No, neither no, of those. It was 100 mil. I said 5 and 50. I would sign up for Look, that today. Guys, the other reason the Atlanta Braves won last night was the fact that their starting pitcher threw with a broken leg. 16, I think it was 16 pitches, and his last pitch was 95 miles per hour. That is the only hour. reason the Braves won, because... There's an intimidation factor that goes into that. Houston's like, well, we can't if we can't hit a hit a ball off a dude with a broken leg, then we're not going to get a hit tonight. I heard Brian Snitker after the game. He was asked about this, and he said, "Yeah, I'm not sure that it broke the first whenever it actually the ball came back and hit him. It's like I, it might have been after that." Oh, really? Which of the 16 pitches afterwards did he break his leg on? It had to be that 15th one that when he landed on it, it just. I can't believe that that dude really threw 16 pitches. Potentially, maybe, depending on who you ask. Allegedly, he needs to go tell Jocktober that I'm a bad mf on a on a broken tibia. Are you kidding me? Nah, you don't oh, need your tibia. Was it a fibia? You don't need your fibia. Well, isn't it, it's a tibia a in fibula. your butt? What? Where's the tibia? All right, hold on. We're gonna look this up. Tibia. Tibia is the longest bone in your leg. I tibia think. is in your leg. I don't know where the hell you oh. think of butt bone is. What's the fibula? The fibula is not a fibia. It's a fibula, and that's your calf bone. It was bone. a fibula. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It was the broken, Tailbone. fractured Unbelievable. fibula. Um, Unbelievable. I couldn't believe that when I heard about it. All right, Ali Marmol. Wait, what? We talked to... How did we just transition from butt bone to Ali Marmol? Wait, so you going to be the guy that's going to do it in October? Is he He's throwing fearless. balls off of his broken foot? He's fearless, and... I asked him yesterday on the Danny Mac show, what has intrigued him about the postseason? And it does relate to the conversation that we're having right now. When everything's heightened, I also love seeing just how players react to it, um, how staffs react to it. Do they do they run less when they were a team that was comfortable running when, I don't want to say it wasn't meaningful, but when the pressure's not on and all the eyeballs are on them in the playoffs. So it's just interesting to see if teams stick to what gave them success or they try to overdo it and, and do more than, than they did in the in the regular season. And I think that's what's been so impressive about the Braves in this postseason run. They don't look like they're trying to do too much. And I know that's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. They look like the same team that we watched down the stretch. When we talked to Dan Schulman, he mentioned that there were like 20 games above 500 after the trade deadline. The team, I mentioned this with the Cardinals, the team that we watched for the Braves in August and September was not the team that we saw the first four months of the season. And so I've been evaluating them as if it's a, a cumulative, right? The, the team that we saw at the beginning of the year is also part of the conversation. And I think it's becoming clear that's not the way that we should view them. This is the team that they were after the deadline and they completely changed in terms of their identity, in terms of who they are as a team, it's been really impressive. And now they're up one nothing in the World Series. I don't know what the Charlie Morton injury is going to mean for them. That is a, a really big one and it could loom large. But if they're able to take a commanding 2 nothing lead in this World Series in Houston, I don't know how Houston's able to come back from that. That's going to be a tough one to be able to overcome against this Braves team. You know how you overcome this, BK? How's that? You sweep the Astros. Because then you don't have to worry about Charlie Morton. What? 
feel like you went the opposite route there. It's 11-13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Five. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. To. We brought up Ali Marmol there briefly. Oh. Other than the record, how are we going to know if Ali Marmol is a successful manager for the Cardinals? I want to know, like, World sp- Series championship. You said other than oh. the record. Other than that, other than the wins and losses, what do you want to see from Marmol in his first year to good know if he's a good or a bad manager? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we're going to catch up with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. What's he expect for the Blues tomorrow night when they are without their captain, Ryan O'Reilly? We'll ask Kerbs next on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Sliman Brothers, your local appliance expert. Online at slimanbros.com. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues are back in action tomorrow. Night Blues versus Avalanche. Pre-game coverage and your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario begins tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And the Blues will be without Ryan O'Reilly. And it sounds like it's probable that they're going to be without Brandon Saad as well. Right now, we're talking it over with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. How big of a loss is this? I know in terms of the leadership and the on-ice, but... In terms of just the chemistry that they had already started to produce, how big of a loss is Ryan O'Reilly being out for likely the next 10 days? Well, you got to like the momentum that this team has built, and uh, you'll find some of the resiliency here. You know, we'll, we'll find out together because it's the first game that he's missed since he became a St. Louis Blue. And, uh, you know, you're going to miss a lot on the faceoff without a shred of doubt. I mean, he's been over 60% in four of the first five games. You know, and, and you're missing that, uh, that that penalty killing and a guy that's been playing 20 minutes a night as, uh, on your top line as your top center. So the, without a shred of doubt, it's a loss, you know, but this is where they've got some depth, uh, you know, to be able to overcome it. This is where a Tyler Bozak and his experience at center can move up the line. I think this is where the type of uh, lines that the Blues can roll out can still create enough of an offensive threat. So. I, I definitely don't think you can look at it and say it's not a loss. It's it's a big one that's out of the lineup for the next potential 10 days. you know. But having having said that, they've got some depth to stay in there, so I don't expect things to be derailed all that much. Yeah, Curb, speaking of that depth, Dakota Joshua recalled, and we all know Craig Berube talked about how great of a camp Dakota Joshua had. It was just the numbers game to where he had to be sent down to the AHL. Uh, they did their line rushes earlier at practice, and they had Shen skating with Kostin and Perron, Bozak with Kairou and Buchnevich, and then Joshua on that fourth line. I was a little surprised by that. Just give me your initial thoughts hearing Shen moving up with Kostin and Perron and Bozak with Kairou and Buchnevich. Well, I mean, that's and again, that's that's the depth that they had. That's what we were just talking about. You know, uh, your number two center behind Ryan O'Reilly is Braden Shen. So now you move him up into that top role with those expectations. Tyler Bozak with, with Kostina Butchnevich, you know you're going to get the defensive-minded, uh, you know, approach and, and a real responsible approach uh, to his game. That's going to be really important. And Dakota Joshua slides right in where he has played very well in every game that he's played for the St. Louis Blues. So that that's why, you know, it, it's like I said, it, it's a loss of a, of a key player, but they've got the, the, the veteran depth to be able to slide guys into where they know they can be successful and, and still perform. And that's that's one of the differences between, to me, guys, the Blues and, say, another team that, you know, might might have, like, you know, just might be top-heavy with, with, with some high-end talent. 
You know, the, the Colorado Avalanche, you lose Nathan McKinnon for 10 days, and you saw the impact of that, right? Because he's just he's that critically important. But from a skill standpoint, they don't have the depth up and down the lineup. The Blues have the depth up and down the lineup that I think that they could spread that out a little bit and be able to withstand it longer than some of the other teams. And it's a move to me by moving Shen up and Bozak up is the move that makes absolute sense. We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, one thing that I am going to be interested to find out about over the next three, four games, potentially without Ryan O'Reilly, is what this looks like for the the defensive core. Because I, I do think this probably puts a little bit more pressure on them. You're losing one of your best defenders. It puts a little more pressure on your penalty kill and the, and the goaltenders as well. Uh, what have you seen thus far from the defense? And how do you think this is going to play out over the next few games without Ryan O'Reilly? I think we've seen really good consistency from them, Brandon. I think uh, you, you've noticed something that we've talked about all last year and through the first part of this year, the difference in how this group looks with a healthy Colton Pareko. And when he's able to play 25 minutes a game and manage the game he has, he's, he clearly makes you know Marco Scandella better out there. And then that really allows the Blues to put even better matchups together for Krug and for, for Falk. Uh, I, I, you cannot talk about this defense, though, without really mentioning the solid job. You know, in the 12 to 15 minutes they're getting with Portuzo and Jake Wallman. Those, those guys have been really good. And one of the reasons that you're starting 5-0 and oh is you've had five straight games with the same defensive court. And, and I think that that's real important. That familiarity is important. As Marco Scandella told us, you know, every single player on this team in this, in this defensive group wants the puck. They want to move the puck up the ice. And, and they've really worked hard in camp on making sure that the forwards are dropping back, that the gaps between the defense and the forwards are not too stretched, and, and they remain tight. So the defense are key parts of the breakout plays to give the wingers opportunities to pass the puck if the wall play isn't there, things along those kind of lines. And, and it's working really, really well. So you're going to have to see that remain tight, but that would be whether or not Ryan is in the lineup or not. The, that, I think that's a key to the system that the St. Louis Blues are playing. And if they can stay healthy back there, that's going to help you bridge the gap because Tyler, but listen, Tyler Bozak's a really good faceoff guy. All right. He, he can win 55% of his draws. And you're going to obviously see him take more and more of those draws with an increased role with Ryan out of the lineup. But you have to figure that the opposition's going to win a, some more faceoffs than normal with Ryan in it. And when that's the case, you've got to rely on your defensive play to help get that puck back. Curbs, Joey said something, I believe it was after their fourth victory, the first home game of the season and postgame, where he said this team probably deserves more credit for how fast they are uh, than what they're giving them. Are you seeing a different team in terms of the speed factor that the Blues present on a nightly basis? Yeah, I think I think there's two things that, that play into that, Alex. So the first one is just they are a faster team. Jake Neighbors is a good skater. When Tarasenko skates, he's the strongest skater as there is on this on this team. Jake Wallman can move. A healthy Pareko can move. You know, and then of course you've got uh, speed with Thomas. You've got some speed with and, and and great speed with with Jordan Cairo. So I think naturally they are a faster team now than they were the last couple of years. The other thing that they're doing is the way they're moving the puck and the support that they're giving each other is it's as clean a puck movement game as I have seen in, in, a, in a while from this hockey team. And when you move the puck clean, when that first pass out of the zone is on the tape and then the chip up the wall goes right to a guy, in two touches, you can make yourselves look really fast by guys playing just good positional hockey and really smart, accurate puck play. And so there's two things. You have natural speed of, of skating, but then the way you play can be fast if your puck skill and everything is on track. 
and, and accurate, and that's what the Blues have done. So I think a combination of those two themes uh, you know, re- really make this team look like they are one of those fast-skating type teams. Curbs, what was different about Ville Husso in his first start of the year? Didn't give up a goal on his first shot. <laughs> that was good. The uh, no, he, you know, he worked hard. I, I talked to Craig Baruby about this in the morning. Uh, he, he's been working really hard. They like the way he looked in camp. He comes in, and you remember last year was his first year ever in the NHL. So every time he got into a game, it was a new experience for him in some way, shape, or form, and in a new building. It wasn't the first time ever he had played the Kings. It was now the third time. He's seen three games now where it's Brown and, and Kopitar shooting at him. And, and you get some confidence in, in those situations. So I, I thought the team played really well. Uh, I think it helped that it's against a, a, a team in the L.A. Kings that struggles offensively a bit. You know, but, you, but you've got to still win those games. And to get the shutout was just the icing on the cake for him. So I, I, I thought it was a, a terrific all-around game for him. Curbs, final one from me. Between the power play and the penalty kill, both have been impressive in the first five games of the season. But which one has impressed you more? I think it probably, for me, I, I look at the penalty kill. I, I think the power play righted itself in the second half of last season. The penalty kill never quite did. And then when you can add, and I know we've only seen them briefly because of the suspension and COVID, but, you know, you know that when the two people you add are the kind of players with the experience they have in Butchnevich and Saad, that's helped. And so when you've got probably four or five penalty-killing pairs as forwards you could throw out there, you've got some depth. So it it doesn't throw you off depending on who's in the penalty box, right? So to me, and and they all talk about it being a new penalty kill. They, they, They want to be more aggressive read more, put more pressure on there, and they've been playing it well. So I, I think the adjustments that they made have been really good, and the fact that they've been this successful uh, shows that. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. You'll hear him tomorrow night on the call for Blues versus Avalanche. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the call tomorrow night. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys, have yourself an awesome day. Absolutely, same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I know you mentioned you were surprised by the way that they had set up the uh, the lines for rushes this morning. Uh, for anybody that missed it, it was Costin up with Shin and Perron on the top line this morning. Kairou, uh, Bozak, and Buchnevich. So Bozak moves up from the fourth line to the second line with Kairou and Buchnevich. Uh, Barbashev is with Thomas and Tarasenko, so they kept that line intact. And then the fourth line today with no Ryan O'Reilly or or Brandon Sod out there was neighbors Joshua who has just been called up and then James Neal slash Kyle Clifford I would imagine that's going to be James Neal tomorrow night but hard to know for sure what was surprising about that specifically for you well I think it was just the fact that they took Shen off of the Buchnevich and Kairou line and Curbs is right Shen is the second best centerman on this team so it would make sense that he moves up to the number one line but they just built such strong chemistry together Shen Buchnevich and Kairou that I saw it and I'm thinking, man, I just don't know if you want to break that up. And Tyler Bozak is such a good defensive minded centerman that you could play him with Costin and Perron. But Curbs is right. Shen is the second best centerman. So you give him that opportunity on that top line. But that's what really caught me more than anything was the fact that they took Shen off of the chemistry that was already built. I feel like the decision was twofold. You either put uh, you kept Shen on that line. You kept the chemistry. So you keep. Kairu Shinbushnevich, and you keep the third line as it was uh, constructed with Barbashev, Thomas, and Tarasenko. And if you do that, those probably become your top two lines now. And then your third line would be Kostin, Bozak with Perron. But the question is, do you want to keep Perron on that top line and then move Shin up there? Or is it better for you to drop Perron down to what would essentially be your third line, quote-unquote, with Kostin and Bozak? 
Clearly, they decided this route. I bet you at some point over the course of the four games, we'll see the other route as well. You'll probably cycle through these to see what works best for the Blues. And as we've been seeing in recent games, they're also likely going to end up by the end of the game shortening the lines. And we'll see the best guys out there. And it could be with different, very different lines, potentially. Yeah, well, and I think you're also going to go for defensive matchups, at least in this one against Colorado, to where you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, what is our best option in terms of matching up against this? Colorado Avalanche team with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie in 15 minutes we'll get into some questions and answer 65780 is the air comfort service tax line but coming up next other than the record I'm curious for our texter 65780 is the air comfort service tax line how are you going to assess whether or not Ali Marmol is a successful manager next year we'll get into that coming up next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You'll know it's the right hire when the confetti hits the field. <laughs> That's exactly right. Because you're not going to do better than Mike Schilt unless you win the World Series. You're not going to do better than Mike Matheny unless you win the World Series. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. And, and you're not going to say it's the right hire unless that manager performs better than the past two hires under John Mosaylock. And the only way to do that is when the confetti hits the field. Exactly. That was Carriker and Smallman last week talking about what it would mean to have a successful manager uh, post Mike Schilt. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, I'm going to start out by saying this. I do disagree with the statement that it would require a World Series for, now we know, Ali Marmol to become a more successful, a better manager than Mike Matheny. What else is new? BK disagrees with somebody. Yeah, that's fair. I disagree I, with it too, by the way. I, I mean, Mike Matheny was a result of the talent that he was given. And when the talent started to decle- de- decline, decrease, Mike Matheny's success also declined with that. So... I think there's you get some, emotional. Yeah. I think Sorry, there's buddy. some truth of that for managers in general, but Mike Matheny was not able to overcome his lack of talent. He did not make it better. He did not maximize the talent that was out there. And that's one thing that I want to see from Ali Marmol. I want to see him maximizing the talent. When you go to the bullpen and it's Luis Garcia, and I think I think she'll did some of this. Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland and Ryan Helsley and guys that Maybe you go into the season, you're like, I, I don't know about this, man. Is this really going to be your best options? You got to get the most out of them because you're putting them in the best positions to succeed. So going into this year and 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Alex, other than the record, other than winning the World Series and winning 100 games and all of those different things, when we're actually looking at the games and the things that the manager has control over, what are you going to be looking for that will tell you that Marmola has been a successful manager in year one? Well, I'm looking for the decisions that he makes in terms of players not playing every day and the right decisions of guys who get opportunities. Because I think we spend so much time evaluating Mike Schilt on the fact of, oh, why is he going back to Matt Carpenter in this spot? Or why is he putting Paul DeYoung here? Or why isn't he calling up this guy? 
Ali Marmol is the first time I'm going to evaluate is going to be looking at, okay, like how do you utilize some of these individual players? Do you say that, look, Yachty, you can't be playing seven games in a row. We need you to sit for a day. And how does that result? Does it result in Yachty going to Instagram or does it result in, yeah, Yachty's on board like he was towards the end of this season where he was playing, what, every third day or he was playing two days and then he would get a day off and then right back into it. The next part that I think I'm going to evaluate him on, and I know you can't look at records because that was the stipulation you put in, but I, I, I am going to be looking at how do you handle the down parts of the year? Because when June hit, that's where Mike Schilt got obliterated from people because they couldn't get out of it. It was just continuous after continuous after continuous, whereas... If I'm looking at Ali Marmal, who is going to have this connection with the players and is going off of the analytics and the information he's given, how do you get out of that? Does it last five days? Does it last a week? Does it last two weeks? Because as the longer it goes where you're in those droughts, then the more concerned I think I'm going to start to get. And I'm not talking about, oh, well, they lost seven in a row. I'm talking about, well, they're not scoring any runs and their offense is at the bottom of the league. How long has it been hand- or staying in that spot? I think the biggest thing for me is going to be basically looking at how his bullpen usage is and then kind of how his, uh, I don't know how to describe it, managerial decisions are and how they really kind of line up, whether it be traditional or analytically. Because I remember from Mike Matheny, I, I didn't think he was always that good of a bullpen manager. No, and, and no, I, he was bad. Yeah, so that's that's one thing for me. In a 162-game season, you got to be able to manage a bullpen. And the other thing for me is going to be like determining how quick should I pull my starter. And I get it. You don't want to have a quick hook in the regular season. But that's something that is going to be important for him as well. And to determining, you know, like you said, along with the how do I figure out who's going to get days off and stuff like that. So that's probably the two things for me is bullpen management and then also being able to balance giving guys days off while also kind of working your way through this these platoons, which it sounds like he wants to do more of. On top of those things that you guys have mentioned, I've got three other things. One, you've got to maintain the base running and the defense that we saw improvements from under Mike Schilt. Mike Schiltz deserves a ton of credit for the way that the Cardinals have defended and the way that the Cardinals have run the bases over the last three years. Since he took over, there was an immediate shift. There was an immediate improvement on the basic fundamentals. And too many times, I will turn on a baseball game that doesn't include the Cardinals, and you don't see those things. It's guys getting outs on the bases. It's guys booting the ball at second base. They didn't do that very often under Mike Schilt. And that's got to continue under Ali Marmol. The next thing, when you've got a backup that is coming into the game. He is taking over, for example, at third base. Whoever their their backup infielder is next year. He's taking over for Nolan Arenado for a day. Arenado's getting the day off. He doesn't just automatically take Arenado's spot in the lineup. You don't become the cleanup hitter. Why not? The, by virtue of batting for Nolan Arenado, you are not inserted into the lineup batting cleanup because everybody else wants to stay where they were. But why not? It makes everyone else feel better. You don't want to make Paul Goldschmidt uncomfortable if Nolan Arenado's place is not behind him. Yeah, it's all about the field, It's man. not about the bat, man. It's about the position. Paul Goldschmidt likes to have the third baseman hit behind him. Batting <laughs> orders don't matter. Amen. Hey, you said that. You're correct. Unless you have a bat hitter that's batting towards the top of well, your order. Matt Carpenter's not going to be here. He's not, and that's the other thing. You're going to have fewer, hopefully, bad hitters that are going to be in the lineup, and that's on the front office. They've got to make sure that that's the case. But whoever the the infielder is next year that's replacing Arenado or Goldie or one of the fourth outfielders, whoever it is, when they go in, they don't just automatically take that player spot. You don't have whoever your fourth outfielder is taking Tyler O'Neill's spot in the lineup. So Lars Newbar, for example, he doesn't now just bat third in the lineup. 
No, he he's going to drop down towards the bottom, and that's fine. That's okay for you to do that on certain days. But last year, when Mike Schiltz would have Matt Carpenter, for example, batting for Arenado, boom, he's your cleanup hitter. No, that makes no sense. He's what, not one of your four best hitters. What if the analytics from the front office are they saying? They don't say that. They don't say that. I promise you. How there's you no know? number in the world that would is tell you Is there a lineup plus minus whip plus percentage? I'm sure there's something yeah. like that. Let's yeah. find I, it. I think what happened was there's maybe the like a misprint. Someone clicked the wrong number or something like that. Check or the data. It got kind of smeared and it looked like maybe a .57 the instead ink, of the ink three didn't seven. Dry. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was that led to those decisions, <laughs> that is something that I will be judging Marmol on. I have a feeling we're not going to see that no. going into next year. The other thing is just as you mentioned at the end there, Tanner. Maximize the splits, whether that be with pitching or with your hitters. If you've got a big situation late in the game and you're, you've got a righty that's coming up to the plate against a right-handed pitcher that is dominant <laughs> against right-handed hitters and your righty uh, is a little shaky against right-handed pitching. Well, then go to that lefty bat, the top lefty bat off of your bench in that spot right there. You got to find a way to get that run in. That's the kind of thing that I feel like too often Mike Shilton, definitely Mike Matheny, but Mike Shilton, to an extent, he would lean on his veterans in those spots, even if they were struggling in a big way. You, you got to go with the guy that you think gives you the best chance there to have success. And the numbers would say you go to that top lefty bat off of your bench. So that's the other thing, maximizing the splits, both offensively and pitching wise. Uh, they, they've got to be able to do that under the next uh, manager as well. And, and kind of to that point, what, what's one thing that we hear of baseball, too, is it's a long season. So the first like couple of months, what can you do? You can take time to learn and 100%. see what you have. But I, I felt like at times last year, Mike Schultz took too long to figure out, OK, here's what I actually have when we all saw it. So to me, it's going to be getting a little bit quicker on the, okay, I know for a fact that so-and-so can't do this. DeYoung, last year. I mean, I wasn't going to say names, but yeah. We're not throwing people under the bus. Well, I mean, the first 40 games, I think Edmundo Sosa got two starts last year. Yeah, we we found out that was probably the wrong decision. I I, I think a lot of that comes down to who the bench coach is, though. Because Ali Marmol is going to rely heavily on his bench coach in this scenario. Yeah, but it ends up uh, kind of like with Mike Schilt. It's it's the manager's job. It's the manager's ultimate decision. But you're you're right uh, to your point, Alex. You got to have a good guy in that spot that can play the devil's advocate side of things. Give me the other side of this decision. And if you still feel firm in your decision of whatever it was, then yeah, you stick with it. You you go with whatever that is and you move forward with it. Like, You'd be a great bench coach. I would be a terrible bench coach. No. I would be a terrible coach because I'm not likable and I'm not very good at communicating. Yeah, but you're great at devil's advocate because you always <laughs> yeah. go the opposite side of things. But like the first two months, you're gonna know you're gonna know what the Cardinals have. It's just called being a smart. The first ass, but the first two months or sixty games, you're gonna have an idea of what you have in terms of your hitters. Your pitching may take a little bit longer to figure out, but it has to be a quicker learning process than it was last year. I got tired of hearing. Uh, you know, we're still trying to learn at what we got at shortstop. No, we if, know what you got. Paul Young's not the if guy. Ali Marmol uses the scratch and claw term at any point. I'm going to be very frustrated. Very frustrated. And then calls them warriors and they battled out there. Well, I, I think you're going to see some of that. I think you hear that from a lot of managers, I unfortunately. I have a bountiful harvest for next year. Ooh, that's a good question. Tommy Edmond? I feel like Tommy Edmond might be no, the guy. Tommy- I don't know. I. I think there's going to be a... It might be Bader. Bader might be the guy that gets <laughs> there might, be, there might be a bountiful harvest for Harrison Bader. 65780 is the bountiful Air Comfort Bader. Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780. 
Show is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Ollie Marmol is making it known what he wants to play, how he wants to play. Now the pressure, it all goes to the front office. We'll talk about that coming up at noon. But right now, time for some questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Alex, what is the best job in sports? Because as uh, I was being on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hold on, I got you. I got you. Hold on, wait for it. No, there's no joke there. You I was asking what the best job in sports was. I was listening to Mike Tomlin yesterday in his press conference. Tanner, do we have this audio ready to go? No. Because he was asked about his interest in the USC job. And to say that he, a lot of coaches will give you the non-denial denial, right? Yeah, they'll say, uh, I'm focused on whoever yeah. the next opponent is. Not worried about it. Not worried about what the future holds, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mike Tomlin decided not to go that route. Here's what it sounded like. Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? That'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? Anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? Man, the thought process of Mike Tomlin in this. First of all, it's it's never say never. But never. But never. But you just said never say never. But then it was, I'm never going to, this is the last time I'm going to talk about it for the now and the future, but yet I'm going to talk about it for 20 more seconds. And then, what did he say at the end of it? There's not a booster check with enough money? Pretty much. But he, he's saying, I have no interest. There is no way to have for me to have interest. I'm out. Uh, Zero interest in this I job. Never B. say never, but never. Yeah, Justin Bieber told him to you say that. You got out of that that he might have interest? Yeah. Your, your takeaway from that quote from yeah. Mike Tomlin was, that eh, seems interested to me. <laughs> seems interested in the job. Mike Tomlin has one of the best gigs in all of sports. He's the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach. They've had three coaches in the last 52 years. You don't leave that job unless you're retiring or you're fired, and they don't fire coaches because they're a really good organization. First of all, he does not have the best job in sports. Okay. I got two people in mind that have a much better job than Mike Tomlin. John Mozalock? Didn't even think of that one. Nick Saban's one of them. Nick Saban is a good one. god in Alabama. And the other is Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel Name has a very me a good better job. person who has a better job than Chase Daniel, who gets paid, what, $10 million a year to sit on the bench the entire season? Where's he at now? Is he behind Brady? No, he's in. I thought he was the backup no, to Brady. No, they got Blaine Gabbert. He uh, is Gabbert. with the Chargers now. Oh. He's making a million dollars this year to back up Justin Herbert. Go he's look up, with where he chooses. Go look up his net worth of his time in, in the NFL, and I guarantee you it's got to be pushing $70 million. Well, not that high. Um, he has made $39 million in his career. After this year, he'll be at $40 million. Wow. He's been in the league for 13 seasons. And how many games has he started? I think it's probably like five What's like, isn't Colt it's McCoy incredible. doing the same thing? No, Colt, Colt McCoy's he's still retired in the now. No, he's retired now. Oh, I thought he was a backup to Jones. He was an emergency guy last year, I thought. I think he's still playing. I don't know if he is or not. We'll say but he's playing. I, I, uh, he is still playing. He is with Arizona. Apparently. Get that right. I know he's still playing. I thought he retired. 
No, 35 years old, still hanging okay, out in the well, NFL. How much has he made, though? Probably nowhere near yeah, Chase no, Daniel. Not, not the same amount of money that Chase Daniel is. Chase Daniel, in his career, has started five games. He is 2-3 yeah. and three as a starter. Chase Daniel has the best job. 260 passes in his 13-year NFL career. What's his touchdown-to-interception ratio? It's got to be a negative. 8-7. to seven. <laughs> Oh, it's a positive. touchdowns Chase, and seven interceptions. Chase Daniel, I will say it again, has the best job in all of pro sports. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tech. Line for questions and answers from the 314. Alex, after watching the Colorado Avalanche last night, I'm not sure if they're as good as we expected them to be. Are they going to end up falling out of the top three in the Central Division this year? No, because the Central Division's not as good as I think people thought it was going to be. Um, what's this look like right now? Because I know Dallas has won a couple of games. So right now it's St. Louis, Minnesota. I know the Blues are in first. Winnipeg, Dallas, Nashville, Colorado, Chicago, Arizona. Look, the bottom dwellers. Those are indeed the teams. The bottom. I'm going through the standings. God, (laughs) you are a smart ass. You named every team. I went through. I named them in chronological order of the standings, you jerk. Your bottom. I don't even want to do this segment anymore. The Blackhawks and Coyotes are at the bottom of the list, obviously. And then I guess it becomes a question. Like, the Blues are finishing top three in the Central this year. I in feel my, pretty confident. In my opinion, in the top two at the end of this year are probably going to be St. Louis and Minnesota. From what I have seen thus far, and I know it's early in the season, but thus far, St. Louis and Minnesota are the best ones. And then I think it comes down to 3-4. I don't think Nashville is going to be there. So I think 3-4 is a competition for three teams, Winnipeg, Dallas, and Colorado. And right now, if I were to say, Colorado might have the slight edge on the Dallas Stars even though Dallas has got a better record than them, Dallas is always a team that seems to drop off. But I don't, I, I don't see Colorado as as good of a team as people have made them out to be. They had a full, healthy roster with the exception of Devon Taves last night against a depleted Vegas team. Remember the team that everyone said, oh, well, St. Louis beat Vegas, but they weren't that good. Colorado just lost to them 3-1. to one. Colorado's goaltender has given up... 23 goals this season, and I don't think Kemper started all of them, but he started a majority of them. They get a minus seven goal differential. Their power play has not been very good, and they don't have third and fourth lines that can score goals on you. They could use a Ville Husso. Okay. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. They don't have a shutout yet. I am very curious to see how the Blues look tomorrow night against Colorado. Yeah, this too. is a really interesting game, actually, without Ryan O'Reilly, because you're going to see a depleted Blues team just like you saw a depleted Vegas team going up against. I, I know Colorado's down right now, but it's still wildly talented on the top end. I mean, between McCarr and that top line that they have, that's as good as most teams in the NHL when you're looking at purely the top end talent. But so after I'm, that, it is a massive drop off. 100%. So it might end up being, we may look back on last year as the year that they missed out. Like that could have been their last best chance at winning a Stanley Cup with this current group of players. And I, I can't wait to watch what the Blues look like against that particular group of, uh, of talent. So we didn't get to see it in the opener. We didn't get to see their best version of the of the Avs against the Blues. And now we're seeing it against a depleted version. It's going to be a big test for the Blues. You can hear that tomorrow night right here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll talk about the Blues and what it's like to coach through these difficult times with 
excuse me, Bruce Boudreaux coming up at 12.15. But coming up next, Ali Marmol is making it known how he wants to play next year. Now it's on the front office to get it done. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. The only couple of positions that I look at right now is center field, second base, and shortstop. Like those two, those three for me can be a little bit interchangeable. I'm not trying to minimize anything that those guys can do, but I'm also trying to maximize what those guys can do. Like put them in the best positions to succeed. To me, this is about what are the other pieces looking like? You know, what are the compliments? Because this goes from, okay, well, you have a manager who is willing to do these things. Now, how does the front office piece together the rest of this roster so he can actually do these things? And that's the important part of the conversation that I would love to have today with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario. It's 12.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Alex, we've talked a lot about... Hey, you know, there's going to be some differences with the way that Ali Marmol is going to manage the Cardinals this upcoming season compared to what we have seen really over the last decade under Mike Matheny and Mike Schilt. He's going to do different things. And Ali Marmol, I asked him about that yesterday on the Danny Mac show. Here's what he had to say about conversations that he's going to have with players about some of those platoons that could be implemented. There will be some platooning and there will be some things that sometimes you're hitting first sometimes you're hitting eighth or whatever the case may be but it, it's going to be in, in the spirit of all of it is this is what's best for us to be able to get a w today um but that's not created by just spontaneously saying hey you're going to go ahead and hit first today without like you have to be very intentional with these players especially today with what their roles are what that looks like how they're going to be used when they're going to be used why they're going to be used that way and the more intentional you can be in up front with them and them understanding that, I think you create a culture where it's acceptable. Um, we haven't seen it here in St. Louis as much as when we play, call it San Francisco or some of these other teams. Um, but I think that's, that's a culture thing. That's something you create. I think that's a really important part, what he said there at the end. You create a culture where it's acceptable. And over the last few years, it hasn't been acceptable under the culture that was there with Mike Schilt. That is not a knock on Schilt. That is just the way that he decided to manage. It was different than what you're going to see with the way that Ali Marmol is going to manage. And you can construct your roster accordingly. If you're the front office, you need to be on the same page with your manager or your coach on what the talent is, what the way is that they want to play. For the Blues, last year they got away from it a little bit. They signed Mike Hoffman and it was a square peg in a round hole. It didn't work. And eventually they, they kind of found a way to make it work, but it never was a great fit. This year, you go into the offseason, it's like, wow, Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich are perfect fits for the way that the Blues want to play. This makes a lot of sense. And now look at the, what the results have been thus far. The same thing is true for a manager. If your manager is not going to use platoons, if they're not going to go to their bench to a left-handed bat in certain spots uh, against right-handed pitching and put that guy in for the righty bat that struggles against right-handed hitters or pitchers, rather then why are you going to go sign that guy? And so the biggest pushback that I've seen from a lot of fans in, in the last couple of days to this idea from Ali Marmol is, yeah, but who are you going to use? Who's the left-handed bat that you trust? Well, they don't have it yet. And that's what the offseason's for. Now it's on the front office. 
Ali Marmol has made it very clear the way that he wants to play stylistically moving forward. He wants to be closer, not exactly replica, but closer to what the Giants were last year than what the Cardinals were a year ago. So now the front office has to go get those bats that make sense. It can't be Matt Carpenter coming off of your bench as the top left-handed option next year. You got to have somebody better than that, both for the infield and probably for the outfield as well. Maybe some of that's coming internally, but you've also got to have some veterans for those spots. So Alex, for me, I, I think this is much about, you remember that collaboration that they talked about? This has to be a collaboration going into the offseason between Marmol and the front office. Yeah, my bigger concern about that, though, is they are going to look at it and say, well, our left-handed bats will be Lars Nupar, Nolan Gorman. Look at what they're doing in the Arizona Fall League. Those are our guys. I I just don't think that's enough. I think you have to provide a Kyle Schwarber-esque left-handed bat. Eddie Rosario, that's a left-handed bat for you. You have to put somebody in the position, and if it's not going to be an everyday player at the shortstop, because that is Corey Seager or bust. And it seems like a long shot. But if you're not going to put that into the shortstop position, then you have to have a bat that you can look at every single day and say, well, if you're not going to be playing DH, you're going to be playing in this position. And guess what? First base, third base, left field. In my opinion, those are locked down as an already everyday starter position. Right field too. I, I don't think that you're going to be seeing uh, Carlson coming out of the lineup. So he might not be in right field, but he'll be out there. So it day. comes down to center field, shortstop, and second base. Yep. And if I'm getting a platoon player, it's better be somebody that I look at in the eyes and say, you're going to be playing every day unless it's in one of these positions or it's in the DH spot. Because that's the only way this team can improve. You can't go out there and say, well, we went out and got Brad Miller. And Brad Miller, sorry, Millsy, but Brad Miller is going to be the bench platoon bat along with Nolan Gorman and Lars Newbar. In my opinion, you're not taking any steps forward with that. To me, if you're going to go with the young kids and you want to use them as the book, platoon options I have no issue with that but then you have to supplement it not just by adding like a bench bat like you're talking about just adding one veteran in Brad Miller to me you have to supplement that by locking down another position and that would be at shortstop get one of those big bats because again I have no issues with experimenting to see if Nupar, Yepes, Gorman uh what's the other kid down in the Arizona Burleson is he Mm -hmm. close to so if you want to experiment with those kids as platoon options I have no issues with that and then that comes back to what I talked about what do you want to see from Marmol it comes down to that uh, quickly learning what you actually have because then if you realize okay the kids aren't ready yet then you can do not as much as what the Braves did adding four outfielders but you can go to the market and get somebody there there should be no hesitation to having to look outside at the trade deadline and say all right we need to go find somebody give up a uh, I don't know 25 number 25 prospect something like that there should be no hesitation being willing to do that if you want to experiment with the kids that's kind of the route you have to take yeah I I think I come somewhere in between with you guys. I I agree with you, Alex, that I'm not sure. Like, I like Lars Newtbar. I think the best use of him next year while he still has the options, and this might be unfair to Lars Newtbar, I I think best-case scenario starts next year in AAA. I don't disagree with you at all. And if you need him, and you probably will because injuries happen, you can use him at some point over the course of the season. He's going to see big league time next year, but... Yeah, we've got a really good roster, and so, Lars, you're going to have to go down to AAA to start the season, and hopefully by the end of the year, you're going to be a big part of what we're doing moving forward. But I think the best-case scenario is they go out and get a veteran, Corey Dickerson or Cole Calhoun or whoever the guy is that you think is a good left-handed bat that can be that fourth outfield option, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, uh, Kyle Schwarber, whoever it ends up being, whichever market they're in, I think you go get that guy. And that allows you to do some things both with your outfield and a designated hitter next year when they have that available to them. And it makes your overall roster not just from 1 to 26, 
one to 40. It maximizes what you have available to you from start to finish of the season. You always hear going into any given season on opening day, John Mosaylock will say something to the degree of what we start with is not necessarily what we're going to finish with this year. He'll give you that quote right before opening day. And that's true. But guys like Lars Newtbar, you want to have them available to you down in the minors. That can't be your first, the best case scenario. You want to have him as a, hey, worst case scenario, we've got Lars Newtbar down there and we know he's going to be fine. I don't know if he's going to be great, but he's going to be fine. And next year, I want a great option for them as a fourth outfielder. And they can do that, but it, you almost have these two opposite paths where option one, you do go down the path of that stud shortstop, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, and you spend all of your money there. Option B, on the offensive side of things at least, you go down this path where you do get some better bench bats. You do get a better designated hitter for you next year. And if you go down option B, the kids start down in AAA next year. If you go down option A with the stud shortstop, you probably are leaning on a lot of those young guys to be your bench bats coming into opening day. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've thought all along that Lars Newpar makes a whole lot of sense of making him an everyday player for the Memphis Redbirds. And if he just destroys the baseball like Juan Yepes did, did last year, I hope that the Cardinals now under the leadership of Ali Marmal would look at that and say, okay, Lars is crushing it. We need him up here, but he needs to be, he needs to be a bonus addition this upcoming season of, we can't keep this kid in the minors anymore rather than saying he's not going to the minors because he has to help us at the major league level. You got to get somebody who you're going to be able to rely upon and has done it on a consistent basis. And then Add that younger player in. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, but Mo doesn't like the young prospects coming up to sit on the bench. He wants them to play every day. That is the case for guys like Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn someday. It's not necessarily the case for guys like Lars Newtbar. Lars Newtbar was not a top prospect. Lars Newtbar's career is probably going to be spent as a fourth outfielder. He may become more than that. Maybe I'm underestimating what his trajectory is going to be. But the likelihood is he's going to be a fourth outfielder in his career. So he's the type of guy that if he ends up being a fourth outfielder later on, that's perfectly fine for him. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll play a game of more likely to happen in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, former NHL coach Bruce Boudreaux is going to join the show. I want to ask him how difficult it is to be in a situation like Craig Berube right now where you're without two of your top six forwards. We'll talk to Bruce Boudreaux about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. to the best start in franchise history 5-0 and for the first time in the history of the St. Louis Blues and with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we're talking it over via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line with former NHL coach Bruce Boudreaux joining the show he is now an analyst with NHL Network Bruce we appreciate the time today how are you doing this afternoon Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you guys? Doing very well. So I wanted to get your kind of overall thoughts as as a coach. If you were watching the Blues as somebody that was getting ready to go up against them, uh, what, what's the biggest threat from this team? What is the most difficult thing about this team to prepare for as a coach? Um, I'll say the same thing I used to say when we, we did play the, the Blues. <clears throat> I'd say get ready for a man's game. In other words, it's going to be big. It's going to be physical. And you better win battles or you're not going to win the game. And 
That's how St. Louis has played when they won the cup. That's how when they play when they're good. And they're obviously doing both of those things right now very, very well. Bruce, you've been a head coach in the NHL since 2011, but you spent some time in Minnesota when you were there, and you've seen some really good St. Louis Blues hockey teams. But is this the deepest this group of forwards has been for the Blues that you can remember? Uh, I think I think they're as deep as I've seen them before. I mean, they can throw four lines at you, and when you're talking about uh, players that are picking it up and you're not listing Tarasenko in the first uh, first breath, you know that they're deep, and I believe that uh, they're going to be they're going to be a team with a chip on their shoulder all year, and they're going to be tough to contend with. Do you think that chip on the shoulder comes from a lot of media on the national perspective looking at St. Louis and saying, "Man, this is going to be an underperforming year for them"? No, I, I totally think the chip on the shoulder is is because Craig Berube has told them probably during the course of the summer that we're not going to pl- start out and have the the first half of the season like we did last year where we're fighting until the last week to get in the playoffs. We're too good for that. We're not a bunch of underachievers, and we're going to go out and show them how the Stanley Cup team played. And uh, I think that's how they're coming out and playing. Bennington's playing great. The defense is playing great. The forwards are getting scoring from everybody. Um, Some of the young players that were just young players have grown up and and have started really and are really playing well. And that's uh, uh, a great uh, compliment to the scouting and staff and the, the GM of the St. Louis Blues. Bruce, you mentioned that when you play against the Blues right now, it's a man's game. I I felt like last year they kind of lost a little bit of their identity, and it felt like basically since the start of the bubble and all the way through the end of last year, it wasn't quite the same Blues hockey team that we had seen previously under Craig Berube in particular, but definitely under Ken Hitchcock as well. Did you feel that way, that they had lost their way a little bit in terms of their identity? And how, in your opinion, did they get it back, if so? Well, I mean, they got it back because they weren't happy with the results that they had last year. A lot of these players still have uh, memories of the Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, so, I mean, they they got it back because they wanted to, and Stanley Cup champions usually have that determination. And, you know, I mean, to me, they played – I think it was nine games like they're capable of playing. And they all happened to be against Minnesota uh, last year. They were playing, they played Minnesota like they always played. They were physical. They were big. They got the puck deep. They didn't turn the puck over and they won the board battles. And they're doing that against everybody this year. And uh, when you're doing that against everybody and you're getting great goaltending, you're a hard team to beat. Bruce, you mentioned some of the younger players stepping up and guys like Jake Neighbors, guys like Clem Costin, even a Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, uh, they have stepped up in a massive role for this team. From a head coach's perspective, when do you know that a young player is ready for the big opportunity in the NHL? Um, it's not when you can. Like, I mean, you can, you're there with them every day. I mean, you spend more time at the rink with your players than you do at home sometimes. And uh, you just have the feeling. I mean, uh, give you an example. I mean, I had uh, Eric Sinek in Minnesota and, you know, as a rookie, and then he'd play 10 minutes a game and then he got up to 12 minutes a game. And then you started having faith in him and he was playing 15 minutes a game and then 17 minutes a game. And now he's, you know, playing up to 20 minutes a game. Um, You know, the, the coaches have more and more faith in the player. And then the, and and they uh, don't disappoint. And when they don't disappoint, they they uh, start playing them more. 
Bruce Boudreaux, former NHL coach with Anaheim, Washington, and Minnesota, joining us here on 101 ESPN, 2008 NHL Coach of the Year, and now serving as an analyst with NHL Network. Uh, Bruce, right now the Blues are dealing with some COVID issues, so Ryan O'Reilly is going to be out for the next 10 days, it sounds like, and they've been without Brandon Saad here for a little while as well, so they had to shuffle up the lines a little bit, and that meant pushing Braden Shin up to the top line and they took Bozak from the fourth line and moved him up to the second line. When you have two top six forwards that are out of the lineup, Bruce, how difficult is it to balance uh, keeping some of those pairs together in your top six with, okay, maybe it's best for us to switch this thing up a little bit more. What goes into the decisions there when it comes to putting the lines together without two top six forwards? Uh, You know, every team's got to go through it at some point in the year. I mean, um, you know, and nowadays too, it's not, you know, when you have a top line, it's usually you want to keep two players together. And the third guy is, is the guy that usually is in and out of that line. So, I mean, as long as they've got two guys that are the same, they can uh, put one guy in. Like, I mean, Pittsburgh's done it. Vegas is doing it. There's so many teams that have, that are hurting right now, um, that, that are doing it. And I don't think it's a problem with St. Louis. They're just sitting there and going, okay, this is now more of a challenge for us. So let's get it going and let's get up. Uh, let's get up for it. I, I don't think, you know, they've got a couple guys hurt, but you can't, I bet you can go through 27 of the 32 teams that don't have a couple of their better players not playing sometimes. So it, to me, it's a non-issue. It's the next man up. Let's go play. I don't want to make a big thing of it because, and, and they're a team that can, you know, uh, have all four lines that can score. So you don't want to make a point of, of the, the fact that, oh, if we're missing our, our two better players, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? So, I mean, it's uh, they, they just accept it, and they're moving on, and they're probably not even talking about it in the room. Bruce, the, the storyline coming into this season for the Blues was Vladimir Tarasenko, an offseason of uncertainty. He shows up at training camp. He looks healthy. The players say they're happy to have him here. And then these last few games, he has just gone off and looks like the Vladdy Tarasenko of old. From a coach's perspective, you know, Craig Berube has said all the right things when it comes to Vladdy. Is it still just about the business? And when Vladdy's out there performing like this, from a coach's mindset, do you kind of make a, a push a little of saying, hey, we need Vladdy here this season because he makes us a better team? I think that goes without saying. I mean, I don't think uh, um, there's things that, that happen that coaches would love the better players on their team all the time. And uh, I'm sure Craig would love to have, uh, uh, you know, Vladdy there all the time. I mean, but, I mean, privately, if he still wants out and, I mean, uh, Doug is not going to make a move unless the the move uh, suits him and suits the St. Louis Blues. But Vladdy looks like he's playing a lot more happier than he was, say, last year and the year before. So who knows what's going to happen. But um, Craig's doing all the right things, saying all the right things. And, you know, and, and Vladdy's starting to come on being the player that, we all know that he's capable of being. Bruce, final one that I wanted to ask you about. In the, uh, the other night, you did a phenomenal breakdown on a NHL Network of the Las Vegas Golden Knights and their defensive struggles. When you look at the Blues defensively, whether it's on the blue line or just defensively as a whole, what sticks out to you about the way they play? But they're tough to play against, and, you can't, and they don't give up second shots. I mean, uh, you'll get the first shot, which is 
what Jordan's been stopping, but these guys are really good in front of the net and, and they bring five guys back to the middle of the ice and they make it very tough on the, on the opposition. And like they win their battles. They're a very determined team. And, uh, uh, when you're a very determined team, it goes a long way. And I, I think this team is, is going to uh, be very good in the central division teams that were taking them lightly or didn't thought that they would be just fighting for a playoff spot are rudely awakened by the fact that how good this team really is. He spent 14 years as an NHL head coach. He was the 2008 NHL coach of the year. He is Bruce Boudreau joining us here on 101 ESPN. Bruce, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll talk with you again soon. Sounds great. Have a great day, boys. Thanks, Absolutely. Bruce. Same to you. That's Bruce Boudreaux joining us here on 101 ESPN. I know that last quote that he gave is something you've talked about before, where it, it seems like the the defense, and this is really the goaltenders as well, they're not giving up those, those rebound opportunities mm-hmm. the way that we saw last year. It feels like they're cleaner in their own end than, than they were at any point in 2021. Yeah, Jamie can break this down a lot better than I can because he's played the game. But what I've been noticing is, is when guys are coming in off of the rush on the other side, the players for the blues aren't trying to get in front of it. Like they used to, where they try and block the shot and keep them away from it. And they screen their goaltender. They're standing aside and letting that guy take the initial shot because they know Bennington's going to make it. They're more concerned about the other guy coming down the rush off of that pad save. And then he gets the one-time option off the rebound that bit them in the butt a lot last season. I've noticed that, but another perfect example is what Ville Husso did the other night. I mean, he swallowed pucks up. They took a shot. He just gloved him. And Craig Berube said before that game, whistles are going to be his best friend. Slow the game down. We have great faceoff guys. That's the advantage of the Blues to where all they got to do is win a faceoff in their zone, and they're already pushing up the ice again. Berube was quoted after practice today. This comes from Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He was asked about, you know, what went into the decisions to put these line, line combinations together without Ryan O'Reilly out there. He said, I do want balance throughout the lineup right now. We've got a significant number of young guys in the lineup, so it's nice to have the veterans with those guys. So, yeah, I look at that. The Thomas line has also been very effective, so I did not want to split that lineup. So that is the explanation as to why he decided to go with the lines the way that they are. If you missed it earlier today, Costin is still on that top line with Perron. They've moved Shin up to that line. Kairou is going to be centered by Bozak with Buchnevich on the right side. So uh, Shin moves up centering the top line. Bozak goes from the fourth line to the second line as the center. Third line stays the same with Barbashev, Thomas, and Tarasenko. And then on the fourth line, it is going to be Dakota Joshua up from the AHL, centering Jake Neighbors, and it looks like uh, James Neal as well. You want to know how bad it's gotten in Colorado? They just broke up the McKinnon-Landeskog-Rantanen line. Really? Yep, it's McKinnon, Burakovsky, and Rantanen, Landeskog, Kadri, and O'Connor. Wow. That shows you how much of a hit it was losing Don Scoy and Brandon Sod. Because they can't put together their top line anymore because they need more offense from their other three lines. Advantage Blues. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. You'll hear, hear that game tomorrow night on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN at 6 o'clock. Alex will have your pregame coverage for you in 15 minutes. We'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, let's play a game of More Likely to Happen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More Likely to Happen next on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's Most Likely to Happen. That was 
good. That was an emotional one because BK, some happy uh, happy thoughts going on right now. Yeah, coming up in about 30 minutes, we're going to give you an update on the L.A. relocation lawsuit that has taken place over the last few years. Uh, Stan Kroenke doing what Stan Kroenke yeah, does. Yeah, baby. Making everybody happy. We'll tell you about that coming up at 1 o'clock. But right now, it's time for More Likely to Happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for More Likely to Happen. Let's start with this one. More Likely to Happen, the Blues win the President's Trophy. Or Bennington wins the Vezina trophy Ooh. this year. Oh, both make Alex happy. <laughs> wow. Was that weird, T-Bone? I feel uncomfortable. Uh, let me see here. Where is Bennington at? The thing for Bennington is, I mean, it comes down to wins. I, I mean, it comes down to wins more than anything. And Vasilevsky's a guy who, and by the way, Vasilevsky is not having a great start to the year. He's only got three wins so far this season. Um... President's Trophy is always so difficult because you're going to go through injuries. You're going to go through situations. I'm going to say Bennington wins the Vezina because the, the the way they judge that trophy is all about wins. And if Bennington plays this way, the Blues don't have an overwhelming amount of back-to-backs this season. They do have a condensed schedule. I think Bennington could legitimately play 60 games this season for you. And if he continues on this pace, you're looking at a guy who could get back to 30 plus wins this season. So I'm going to say Bennington wins the, wins the Vezina, and then I'm going to rub it in both of your faces, especially BK's. Just, is it just because I'm a Huso fan? No, I love Huso. Oh. BK oh, hates Huso. He doesn't like Blues goaltenders. You know this. It's unbelievable. Right? He didn't like Luis Garcia, best reliever. Is there any other St. Louis sport that you don't like? Huh? No. I, I think I'm going to go the other way, though. I think I'm going to go with the President's Trophy. Though, Grant, I think it's going to have to be possible because uh, Bennington's <laughs> in the Vesna conversation. But I think they're just so deep at forward that I think that's going to be kind of what sets them apart from everybody else. Plus, I still think they're going to add another top four defenseman around the trade deadline. I think I'm going to go more likely they win the President's Trophy. And again, I think it, it's going to correlate with Bennington's probably going to be top three in the Vesna voting. Yeah, why not both? Well, you don't want the it's President's Trophy because it's the, it's the curse of the President's Trophy, BK. When you, win the the, when you win the President's Trophy, you lose in the first round. You, you know what also tends to happen? What? When you have the worst record in the NHL in December, you tend to not make the playoffs and then win the Stanley Cup. Are you saying the Blues should tank from now until December? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I like that thought. I like the idea that. there, man. Is, the Blues are trendsetters. They break all of these curses no. that you've seen what in happened? recent years. Um, I... I think it's more likely that the Blues end up winning the President's Trophy. This team's really good, and it would not surprise me at all if they if they end up leading the league in uh, in points this season. So I think it's more likely that they would win the President's Trophy than Bennington wins the Vezina. Although, if he continues playing the way that he has so far this year, he's at least got a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that save percentage has got to get up, though. It's, it's got to get a little higher for him to be able to be in that category. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen more likely that the Blues trade Tarasenko in season or acquire Matthew Kachuk in the offseason? Acquire Matthew Kachuk in the offseason. Um, I, I, I really, I'm under the belief now that they're not going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko for how good he is, unless he is just outwardly projecting, like, trade me, which I just can't believe after what we've seen so far this season. Um, in, in the other answer with that. I mean, look, Calgary's good right now. 4-1-1, one, one, second place in the Pacific Division behind the Edmonton Oilers. But Matthew Kachuk's going to be headed into UFA not this coming season, but the year after. 
and your best opportunity to get something for Matthew Kachuk is going to be this offseason because otherwise he's going to walk and you're not getting anything for him. So I think if the Blues decide that there's a shot that they could get Matthew Kachuk, maybe Vladimir Tarasenko is a part of that trade. Who knows? But yeah, I'm going to go with uh, more likely that you get Matthew Kachuk in the offseason. I think I'm going to go with more likely if Vladdy's traded this season. I, I just think they're going to move, move him. I I understand what you're saying with you don't want to ruin the uh, locker room chemistry and the way he's playing. He's been phenomenal, so it's tough to move on from. But if he wants out, I think you do it. I think you move him and you get your top four defensemen, and I think you're better off for it. So I, I think the Blues will move Vladimir Tarasenko this season. I'm with Alex. I think it's more likely that they get Kachuk in the offseason. I think I've slid to that side of things. Doug Armstrong was firm in saying he's not going to give up Vladdy unless he gets something that he deems worthy of what he has seen Vladdy be in the past. Just a 30-plus goal score. I don't know that you're going to get that in season. And right now, I think the 30-plus goal score that you potentially have on, or even if it's 20 to 25 goal score that you have on your third line, that's incredibly valuable. Imagine going into a playoff series where the other team has to worry about Vladdy as your third line right winger. That's terrifying. Like, Imagine if we, as Blues fans, we were going up against a team that had that version, not Vladdy, but that the Vladdy equivalent on their third line. It's like taking Tampa Bay on last year. No interest in that, right? So I think that he ends up staying here for the remainder of the season. They trade him in the offseason, and it would not surprise me if it's either a part of the Matthew Kachuk trade or... They trade Vladdy elsewhere, and that opens up the cap room for the Blues to be able to take on Matthew Kachuk next season because it's basically a one-for-one. It's almost exactly equivalent in terms of the money going in versus going out with Vladdy. And if he has a great season and you're able to get that full salary slot off of your payroll, there you go. Yeah. Now you've got a stud, what, 24-year-old winger that can come in and potentially replace David Perron on that top line whenever David Perron ages out. He ends up maybe taking the spot of Vladimir Tarasenko on that third line. Well, think about, too, you're messing up your power play unit. I mean, you're taking the guy off who has been so effective on the power play for you right now. The reason that they're top five in the NHL, you take that off, and I know you could probably plug and play somebody there, but it's going to take some more time to get chemistry down. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen, more likely to be traded in the offseason from the Cardinals. Alex Reyes or Paul DeYoung. More likely to be traded this offseason from the Cardinals. Alex Reyes or Paul DeYoung? I would say Paul DeYoung because of the Cardinals' mindset in their pitching staff. And if they are going to be looking at working into the numbers, the analytics, and pulling guys before the third time through the order, you're going to have to have a bolstered bullpen. And if he's going to start in the rotation spot, well, maybe he gets that opportunity and he's good there. But if not, I think you're going to have to have as much pitching as possible. And I think you're going to want to keep an Alex Reyes around despite the struggles that he had this past year. Paul DeYoung makes the most sense because you got the pay to where it's favorable for some teams, the contract. So, yeah, I, I would say Paul DeYoung's more likely. I, I agree with you that I think I agree with the assessment. That I think Paul DeYoung probably should be the guy that's maybe dealt. But I, I think the Cardinals, especially after hearing John Mosellock talk after the season, I think it's more likely they'll move Alex Reyes. And the reason I say that is he had a comment saying along the lines of, you know, we think Sosa's basically reached his offensive ceiling. If that's the case and they don't want to add a big, bad shortstop, I think you keep Paul DeYoung and have DeYoung and Sosa kind of be those shortstops for you. Alex Reyes, you're trading. He's not at his highest value, 
but he's not at as low like I think Paul DeYoung is. He's a little bit lower in terms of just not at his highest peak. I think you can still get something for Alex Reyes. I don't know if he has a role as a starter. I don't know if you want him in the bullpen. If that's the case, I think the Cardinals may look at moving him in some kind of deal. I don't know what they'd get back, though. I'm fascinated to see or to learn what the value would be for Alex Reyes out on the open market. Still has, what, one more year after this year of arbitration, arbitration eligibility. So you've got two years of club control left. At a minimum, he's a really good reliever. We saw that this year. I know he had his struggles down the stretch, but I think he can settle in to be a pretty darn good reliever moving forward. And you still have the upside of him as a starter as well. And there's other teams around baseball that would view him as a four or five inning starter that's just dynamite in that role. And maybe he's great there and they see that as a huge value. I I just don't know. I don't know what other teams would view him as right now, given the injury history and how this season ended for him. I think it is more likely, though, that they would trade Paul DeYoung because I do think he is still seen as an asset around the league. I know we look at that money that he's owed and we say, oof, that's pretty rough. Two years, $15 million. Another team may look at that and say, hmm, we think he's still got something left in the tank. We see these two, three things that if we fix it mechanically, he can get back to the guy that he was previously. And now we've got a starting shortstop for the next two years for $15 million. So I think it's Paul DeYoung that's more likely to be traded this offseason. Final one for you guys. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to lead the Cardinals and lead off at bats next year. So start the most number of games as the leadoff hitter for the Cardinals. Tommy Edmond or Harrison Bader? I think I will go with Tommy Edmond. I, I, as much as I do like Harrison Bader and his speed potentially being at the top of the order, I think he projects more as a bottom seven, eight, nine hitter somewhere in that range. Tommy Edmond's Tommy extra base hit Edmond, so he fits well at that top spot. So I, I think I'll go with Tommy Edmond. Does he say it right there? I did. Yeah. Finally did. Finally, you're agreeing with us on this Edmund? one. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go Tommy Edmond, especially after what he did in the uh, wild card game against the Dodgers. I think there's got to be there's got to be some leeway for him to be the leadoff hitter in this upcoming season. And I know he struggled against righties this past year, but you might be getting a guy who can continuously be your leadoff guy. So Tommy Edmond is going to be my answer. I like it. Going Harrison Bader. Oh, of course we are. The guy who's going to be on the bench half of the season. Did you know that over the last two years, Harrison Bader has the same batting average as Tommy Edmond, has an on-base percentage that is 20 points higher than Tommy Edmond, and has a slugging percentage that is 80 points higher than Tommy Edmond. It's over a two-year stretch. That sounds nice for my 7-8-9 hitter. Well, then what are you doing with Tommy Edmond? He's batting leadoff for you? He's leadoff. Why? Because he's Because he's Tommy two bags... Edmund. No, extra, extra base, base hit Edmund. Yeah, Tanner just made me. Yeah. Tanner just. <sighs> what are you doing I'm over ashamed there? Of myself. One of them has a better on base percentage than the other. This team is moving to be a more analytically inclined version of itself. The guy that has the better on base percentage is probably going to get more opportunities batting leadoff. I think it's going to be mostly against left handed pitching, but Harrison Bader was also better against righties last year than Tommy Edmund was. So. I think that he's going to get more of the opportunities batting leadoff. I think you're going to see Tommy Edmond batting ninth quite a bit next year. I think we're going to see a little bit of a step back in Harrison Bader next year. We might, and the but reason I think that, we the, start the season with him batting leadoff. I think you stick with Edmond batting leadoff to begin the year. I think you see a step back from... I'll go out on this limb. I'd be stunned if Tommy Edmond is your opening day six leadoff pack. hitter. Six pack. Yeah, six pack. I would be stunned. So who is your le- opening day leadoff hitter? Somebody not named Tommy Edmond. Who is, yours is Tommy Edmond? Mine is... 
Tommy, Tommy Edmund. Yeah. I will back nobody. I will be the ref in this one. <laughs> it's Tommy Two Bags, by the way. Uh, um, Tommy Two Bags is going to be batting eighth or ninth on opening day of next year. I think Tommy Bottom of the Order Two Bag Edmund. No. <laughs> Tommy yeah. top of the order. Yeah, it's, it's, not Tommy, it's not Tommy eight hole hitter Edmund. It's Tommy extra base hit Edmund. Whatever you want to call him, he ain't batting leadoff next year. Six I pack. think Harrison Bader is going to have more Six of those opportunities. Pass. Contest officially started. Woo-hoo! With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll tell you Alcohol. about the latest with Stan Kroenke apparently getting into it with the other owners about not wanting to pay for what he has caused with this lawsuit here in St. Louis. Who could have seen that one coming? boy, Stan. We'll do that in about 10 minutes or so. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We're going to tell you about the latest with the St. Louis lawsuit. Uh, to say that Stan Kroenke is in hot water with the rest of his owners would be a bit of an understatement. So we'll give you the details on that coming up at 1 o'clock. Time to dive into the junk drawer, though. Alex, what do you have for us today, my man? Well, boys, let's talk about testicle baths. What? Yeah. So I don't know if either of you have considered. Did I have dumped that? What no. just happened? No, you're good. I, I don't know if either of you have considered children in the future. BK, I'm assuming you and Kara have talked about it. Tanner, I'm assuming. 23 at the earliest. I'm assuming you've talked with. 20, 20, 30 is the earliest. Someone about it. But anyway, well, maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, ah, we're just not ready for it yet. And the protection from that might not be, well, might not make you comfortable. I don't feel comfortable now, if we're being honest. Well, I don't know where we're going well, here. Well, look, there, there's a German scientist right now who just won a Dyson Prize for what she is calling the testicle bath. It is a birth control, and it's a device so that you don't ever have to worry about having a kid if you're not ready for it. What it basically does... Wait, what? So this is male yeah, uh, this birth is, control? This is male birth control. Sign Re- me up. How do I do Rebecca, this? Rebecca... Oh, well, don't get too excited for this because this sounds more like a punishment than anything. So what this is is essentially Wait, you are you are ta- you are you are taking that area of your body and you are putting it into your what, testicles. You're taking your testicles and you are putting it into this little device, and basically it's shocking your testicles so that your sperm <laughs> does not swim and you don't have children for so the you time only being. Use it while sexually active. Pretty much, yes. Just, <laughs> it feels like that would take a little bit away from it's, the uh, the activity. That well, you're taking I, I place mean, in. I'm assuming what this is is, and it doesn't go into too much detail here. But from what it, I'm understanding, is I would assume you're Do doing you have to hold it while. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm assuming you're doing this before the act of sexual relations. You are shocking your testicles so that the sperm is in shock therapy, and then they're not swimming towards the egg to create a human being. I feel being. like I need some more details on this. Not, not only is this just sound weird, the fact that BK just heard, oh, male birth control just jumped right <laughs> he in. Say he's in on it. Yeah, he just jumped right in. He has didn't, no, he no didn't care know that someone was be. tasing his testicles before. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Well, I'm in on this. Would you, I mean, be, would you do this if you found out that this... I need some more details. Well, unfortunately, this was the details that I got I off of this website. I find it amazing that this actually works. We I don't some, know if it works. I, mean, I need I'm some more details on like how often you have to use this, how long it takes, how much uh, pain 
it takes place during this. Is it like one of those where you're like on the verge of The device of doing only it and... needs to be used every few months to keep the sperm oh, really? inert and Man, pervert That must be some strong electrical shock. Yeah. So look, BK, you use this and then you're good yeah, for three months. This. Even if you were shocking your system. Yeah, if it's only got to be if done like once every few months. If it's only like a couple months, yeah. I think I could do that. The, the one where it'd be tough. If Absolutely. It's like, Are you serious? The one where it'd be tough is like if you had to do it every time before you. Before you I mean, had imagine, imagine that conversation. Hold on, I got to go take something in the bathroom. Hold on, we got to go use the testicle bath before we get started. I mean, All right, BK's in on it. Now I know what your wedding gift is. I don't, know, I don't understand why people wouldn't be in. Oh, honestly. Because I'm not electrocuting my testicles. It's an ultrasound, though. I mean, have you ever had an ultrasound yeah. before? Yeah, but like this is using electrical shocks elect- to. Yeah, I was gonna say there's no shock in an ultrasound. It says not it the uses one I did. an ultrasound bath to temporarily stop sperm mobility. Yeah, I'm in. I'd give it a shot. Try anything once. Bad motto. It's once called, every few months. Should, this is great from the six three six. They should have called it the tadpole electric chair. Yeah, I, I, it, I think it's an ultrasound device. And if that ends up being what it is, it, uh, the, so the, the question would be, uh, how sure are we that this is effective? Well, I mean, she well, just won an award in Germany for it, so I would imagine it's pretty damn effective. I get it. But if it's like 85% effective, yeah, no, I'm not trusting I'm not trusting I that. I think the only thing I've taken away from this is I know what one of the punishments is going to be for BK that he lost. Electrocution. Yep. And it's, you know. I mean, if it comes with something that is potentially... Oh. Helpful. I think we're gonna. I think we taser BK as a punishment. I think we taser BK as a punishment. How did this become a, a tasing? Because situation? you were all for this. You got super excited without even knowing what was happening. Well, he said there's a male um, male control. Birth control. Yeah. yeah. BK was like electrocution. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need any more details. Nobody Whatever. tell me. I just don't want any kids. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, BK on that airplane story. Blank uh, them kids. That's fair. <laughs> and now he's using electric shock. Now he's getting tased as a punishment. Somebody said this sounds like it might actually be a reward for BK, not whoa, a punishment. Oh, well, he might be into that thing. That's what we're kind of trying to figure out. That's why I think we should tase you for a punishment to find out if you like these things. Well, Where I, can we I get just, one. By I, the way? I think we're under not one of these. A taser. I got a guy. When you said it's a shocking system, it's like, God, I don't know, man. When I read that it's an ultrasound, that's not pain. No, no, but the way I involved. read it, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's very painful, but the way I read it was, yeah, it's an ultrasound system, but it sounds like it shocks the system when you use it. Yeah, I wonder if you... It's not like sending shock waves. It wonder, shocks the system. I wonder if your voice changes. goes high after you do it. Oh, oh, boy. It doesn't change a whole lot for Tanner. Coming Why did you turn into the Pillsbury Doughboy there? Because that's probably what you sound like after you get it right away. You sound like a mix between tickling, Tickle Me Elmo and the Pillsbury Doughboy. It's time for a Ferrari 5 at 115. But coming up next, Stan Kroenke is making every other NFL owner not named Jerry Jones very upset. We'll tell you why coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Oh boy, Stan Kroenke. What did he do this time? Stepped in it once again with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Did he clean his shoes afterwards? There is a long, lengthy story right now over at ESPN.com by Seth Wickersham, a proud Mizzou alum, I might add, uh, who is very tied in with NFL owners and executives. 
And right now, the NFL owners' meetings are taking place in New York, Alex. New York. And I'm going to read you a few of the details as to what happened today Okay. in those meetings. I'm excited. Again, this all comes from Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com. Story time with Uncle BK. Everyone sit down. Stan Kroenke may be trying to back away from his promise to cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expenses related to his team's 2016 departure from St. Louis, a revelation that angered many NFL owners when they learned of it earlier today. Kroenke backing away from money? That seems right. Although Kroenke has been in discussions with the league for some time over the scope of his agreement, Owners first learned of a shift in his position several hours into, excuse me, this was yesterday, Tuesday's meeting. Sources told ESPN that Kroenke then stood and told the room he has invested in the league and done everything the league has asked of him. He apologized for the ongoing lawsuit, but argued it wasn't his fault. Oh, please tell me that he throws Kevin Demoff under the bus. <laughs> no. Then in, in, in what is seen as an unusual move, Roger Goodell asked Rams owner Stan Kroenke to leave the room. <laughs> he did. And that is when the league's legal counsel told the room that the league was notified by Kroenke's attorneys that Kroenke is challenging the clause that he signed that all three teams involved in the L.A. Derby back in 2016 signed the morning of the vote. Sources told ESPN that the room seemed, quote, stunned by the league's update on Kroenke's view of the agreement that he had previously signed. Uh, Giants owner uh, John Mara then spoke next and said that Kroenke's change in position was, quote, ridiculous. And that if any if Kroenke had not agreed to this clause, the league owners wouldn't have voted for him to move to L.A., He said anyone who was in the room in Houston when the vote was taken would, quote, know that's true. Oh, my gosh. End quote. This is incredible. More so than anything, the fact that Roger Goodell looked at Stan Kroenke in that awful toupee and said, Stan, I'm going to need you to step out of the room for a minute. He was uninvited to the clubhouse, basically. Stan probably knew it was coming. I was like, hey, you don't got to tell me to get out of here. Goodell looked at everyone and goes, guys, what the hell are we doing, huh? Everyone want to pay $100 million? This is really bad for the league. Yeah. What? Millionaires fighting amongst themselves? What could go wrong? Billionaires. Billionaires. Oh, yeah, I was going to say. Don't you ever insult Jerry Jones like that. My bad. He worked for that billionaire. Jim Ursay said that owners should have been should have called Kroenke back into the room so he could answer questions from the membership. Jones argued that Kroenke shouldn't do so without an attorney present at the time. Art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers, said that lawyers should handle all of these issues. The Giants owner reiterated that nobody in the room would have voted for Kroenke if they knew that he wasn't going to pay for all of these expenses. I would really love to know whose fault it was if it wasn't Stan Kroenke's fault. If he was the one that wanted to go to L.A., started the transition, and then on top of it told all of the owners that I will pay any legal fees. How is this not his fault? Well, I can I can tell you how he's gonna, or at least I can try and hypothesize why he how he's gonna play this off of. Oh, I wanted I was working with the city of St. Louis to keep the team in St. 
St. Louis, but you guys thought it best if we had a team in L.A., but that and then we threw me into it. But that doesn't answer the part of him thinking that it's not his fault with well, the no, legal no. fees. What I'm saying is he's say, he's basically saying you guys wrote me into this, made me move to L.A., which isn't true, but so, that's how I see him he's playing it. standing with the murder victim next to the murder, and he's acting like he's it's not his fault. Got the knife in his hand with all the and blood on it. When's Johnny Cochran walking through the door? In 2019, oh. this oh is again gosh. according to this ESPN report, an ESPN report on the Rams-Charger marriage detailed that discovery in the lawsuit had turned up an email from an official affiliated with the competing Carson proposal that outlined to St. Louis authorities all of the ways that the Rams seemed to be in violation of the league's relocation policy, which could have then provided a blueprint for the city of St. Louis to file this lawsuit. A source close to Kroenke says, according to ESPN, that the Rams owner, Kroenke, now believes some of the legal issues arise from that specific email. And that after building the stadium and agreeing to house the Chargers as a tenant for $1 a year, he should not be responsible for all of these legal fees. So his argument to the rest of the league, again, five years later, is that this email that took place from somebody that was associated with the Carson project is actually what directly led to all of these lawsuit issues. First of all, that's BS. What led to the legal issues is what you did right. knowingly. So that is Kroenke's nonsensical belief for some billionaire who has no idea what the difference is between right and wrong, apparently, and has never learned that. And now here we are in 2021, five years after the Rams decided to leave St. Louis, when this meeting and the vote all took place. And the owners are all turning on one another. And you know what it's over? It's over money. And this was always going to be the case. It was always going to come down to money. You throw, a bo- you throw a box of raw meat into the middle of a lion cage, the lions are all going to fight over it. And that's you know what's what happening. billionaires really care about? Remaining billionaires. And having all of that capital to themselves. They hate having somebody tell them what to do. They hate having somebody tell them how to spend their money. And right now, what you're seeing is that the courts here in St. Louis are saying, hey, hand over all those all those records, all of your phone records, all of your emails. And we've seen NFL owners apparently have some bad emails that they don't want getting out there to the public. Um, Happens to be an investigation. Your financial records that owners who hate, that's hate never giving pretty. over. And is awful when it comes to the next CBA between yep. them and the players. Awful. All of this stuff is being handed over to courts and... Owners don't want to do it. Eventually, they're going to have to. But they were doing so with the knowledge that, okay, all of this is going to get taken care of eventually. This sucks. This is awful. None of us wanted to be in this spot, but at least stands fit in the bill, right? Now you find out at the end of it, oh. He's the guy that showed up to dinner without the freaking wallet and said he's going to pay for it. Two months before all of this is actually going to trial, now you're deciding that you're not footing the bill for this thing? Now, doesn't this make, doesn't this, the the comment you said it was Jim Irsay that said it, doesn't that look bad or even worse in this lawsuit case of the comment of... That we wouldn't have voted. That we for this? wouldn't have voted for this. That makes this look that's, even that's worse. The Giants owner uh, Mara. That looks even worse for this lawsuit against the NFL because basically he is saying if Kroenke wouldn't have admitted to paying all this lawsuit money because he knew it was going to be a problem, we would have never moved the team from St. Louis. Like that to me has a bunch of red flags going off. Yeah, I mean this is this is the smoking gun. 
Like what, what they basically admitted with that comment, if true, and we have no reason to believe that it's not, is, hey, Stan, we let you break every rule in the rule book because you said you were going to take care of it when all was said and done. You had a fix it, man. Right. Um, it, it, and now you're telling us that we are left to fix it. Well, that's not what any of us signed up for. We signed up for you to fix it. And now your guy apparently has gone on paid vacation for the next three months. Where is he at? He broke my he broke my pipes, and then he just said, oh, "I'll be back in a month," and never calls you back. I, I'm not surprised by this, but I I can't believe that it came out this publicly this early on. Does this force, not force? Does this push more of these NFL owners to testify against Kroenke in this lawsuit? No, because they're they're going to want to save their own asses because now they're stuck. They, they are stuck with an ally that none of them want because Stan Kroenke is one of them. He's in the club. He's in the members club. And, and there's, there's well, he was kicked out of that club when Goodell told him to step out of the room. Still an owner. And they're all technically on the same side here, even though there is some infighting. The problem is he was supposed to have his Olivia Pope come in and fix this stuff. And now uh, that's gone. The show has been canceled. Have you ever you never seen Scandal? Um, Sorry. He doesn't have an Olivia Pope anymore. I I do wonder what this means for any potential um, for any potential settlement, because we had talked with I forgot who it was now. Is it Florio? Might have been Florio who said, if this ends up happening, the next obvious path is maybe they just try to give them a team. Maybe they say, you know what? If we're going to have to foot this bill, it's better for us to not be out billions of dollars in cash. Maybe it's better for us to be out an asset of St. Louis being able to get. But doesn't that still cost them millions of dollars down the road? It's a sunk cost at that point. At least it's not cash that they're handing over, right? They're, They're not giving over money to a city where it, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's potentially in the billions is what we have heard. If the settlement is billions of dollars on one side, or we give you an expansion team where yes, if somebody else were coming into the league, we would get that cash. It's an influx of cash to the league. At least this isn't us hemorrhaging money. From okay. The so let me ask both of you this then, because I, I was still hesitant in terms of St. Louis really having a legit shot at an expansion team. This coming out, does this change your thoughts on that at all? I think that this is this was the only way that it became a possibility. If With it this coming out, yes. If it wasn't for this, if if Stan was willing to foot the bill and he was going to pay for everything and they Which were going to move forward, we probably shouldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, that right. was never going to happen. But if he was going to and he was going to keep his word, which should have known, then yeah, I think that would have been completely off the table. Now, mm. if you're one of those other thirty-two owners. And I think you need, what, 20, 20 votes or something like that uh, for, for anything to get done, basically, within the league. If you're one of those other 31 owners, man, I'm thinking about my money now. I'm not thinking about what's best for Stan Kroenke. I'm not thinking about what's best for the league. I'm thinking of me because that's how these guys operate is what is best for me. And if I'm one of those other 31 owners, the best thing might be offering an expansion team now. I bet you it gets discussed at a minimum. So yeah. I was, I'm was i reading this article real quick, uh, and I apologize if you read this already, BK. A source with direct knowledge of the situation told ESPN it was less than a billion, but told those in the meeting that it was more than the net worth of some in the room. For oh, the settlement? I hate, yeah. I'd hate to hear that comment. <laughs> like, if I'm one of the owners hearing that, yeah, give them a team. Everybody, give them a team. Everybody looked at the Jacksonville guy, didn't they? <laughs> 
Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. You're the worst out of this group. Sorry. Sean's one of the richest. Yeah, Sean is one of the richest. Who's, He's the one wonder, that wants to take it to London. I wonder who's the one that's the, I wonder who that affects. Detroit, maybe? Uh, I don't I, think he makes He's got. He owns the Red Wings too, right? No, no. I, I would imagine that that had to be a shot directly at uh, what's his face, Al, Al Davis's son, Mark Davis. Yeah. Mark Davis has like no money. Oh, that's yeah. not a shocker, really. <laughs> uh, haircut he's, tells it all. He's cash poor. That's why they like one of the questions. Whenever hey, they had to, me too, Mark. <laughs> me too. <laughs> we're, we're all in that cash category, poor, buddy. Whenever they had the um, what's his face defensive end. Why am I drawing a blank? That they traded to Mac? Uh, Khalil Mack. Mac, yeah. When there were conversations about a potential money. contract extension, they have to put part of the signing bonus into an escrow. And the conversation was they don't have that amount of money to put into an escrow account. Like they didn't have the actual cash on hand to be able to do that. It's a silly rule that the NFL had from decades ago that still exists. And now the money is like tens of millions of dollars My that's being put into those categories. So, God, yeah. this is incredible. Makes me think that the owners, uh, who'd you say was the one that made the comment if we wouldn't vote on that? That was her, uh, Mara. Yeah, Mara. John Mara. You know what he's saying? If only I could turn back time. If I could turn back time. If I could find a way. I would Too take late, guys. that, that ugly toupee stain. Let's stick on this on the other side. What's your reaction to this St. Louis? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. If you missed the news from moments ago, this, this is according to ESPN.com. Seth Wickersham, Stan Kroenke may be trying to back away from his promise to cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expense, expenses rather related to his team's 2016 departure from St. Louis, a revelation that has apparently angered many NFL owners when they learned of it yesterday. We'll talk about that here from you guys coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So the news that has recently come out over on ESPN.com from Seth Wickersham is that Stan Kroenke might be trying to back away from his promise. Who saw that one coming? Surprise, surprise. To cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expenses related to the Rams' 2016 departure from St. Louis. Apparently, this angered NFL owners who would have thought that as well. Sources told ESPN that Kroenke stood in front of the room and said he has invested in the league. He did everything the league wanted. And then he apologized for the ongoing lawsuit, but said, eh, not my fault. I didn't do that. Uh, Then afterwards, Goodell asked Stan Kroenke to leave the room, and the legal counsel for the NFL told the room that they were notified by Kroenke's attorneys, hey, eh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not paying for all of this money that you guys thought that I was going to, uh, even though he had signed on to it the morning of the vote. According to ESPN.com, the room seemed, quote, stunned by that update uh, of Stan Kroenke's view on the agreement that he had previously signed. And then a quote that I find really interesting. John Mara spoke up next and said Kroenke's change in position was ridiculous in that if Kroenke had not agreed to the clause with the league, the owners wouldn't have voted for him to move in the very beginning. He said anyone who was in the room in Houston when they had that vote would know that by now. That's the money shot for me. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. How do you feel about this, St. Louis? Because we mentioned this in the last segment. 
I don't know if St. Louis is actually going to be offered an expansion team or not. The chances are low, I would say. Seems unlikely. If they're going to be, though, this was the prerequisite. It had to start with Stan Kroenke saying, I'm not paying for that. You guys got to figure this out. I know I signed something that said that I would, but I'm challenging that and I'm not going to do it. That opens up the door. But without that, there is no even possibility of the league offering St. Louis an expansion team. Alex, how do you feel about what we have learned today from Seth Wickersham? Well, I love what we're learning from this because this is just blowing up. This is basically Wiley Coyote trying to catch the Roadrunner with a TNT, and it is blowing up in the entire face of this NFL ownership group, which I love every second of our NFL ownership group. I, I think I said NHL there, but... Uh, would I love to see a team here? Yes, 100%. Do I think it's gotten closer to this? Uh, again, yes. But I, I just don't know if it still solidifies this for me because there's so many factors that have to play into this. And we were talking about this during the commercial break. You got to wonder, does St. Louis even agree to taking an NFL team once again after being bitten twice in this scenario? So much goes into this, but I do think that this works in the favor of the St. Louis lawsuit in getting whatever finality they want to this. And I think what you said, BK, Jim Mara's comment, the Giants owner, that to me was the nail in the coffin. When he said that said that if it wasn't for Kroenke saying that I if if you wouldn't have agreed to pay all of this lawsuit money, we would have never agreed to this. St. Louis Rams still probably here and you're not talking about this lawsuit so that was the that was the nail in the coffin in my opinion yeah we're getting some texts kind of similar to uh, on a similar vein to that but maybe one step further from uh the 314 guys do you think this is going to make an owner angry enough to throw Cronky under the bus and open up about everything and that's just symbolic of a few different texts that we got on the text line 65780 my answer is no because then they're throwing themselves under the bus as right. well the more that is known publicly about what took place behind closed doors basically the more that is known publicly about what we know to be true without actually having seen it um the more money they potentially have to give to st louis and if stan's no longer footing the bill by speaking out about this the owners are actually putting their foot in their own mouth they're the ones that are going to have to pay for what they say publicly so yeah you're screwing over stan Kroenke, kinda but you're also screwing over your league, which which by is virtue of doing so is you. And you're and you're and you're burning a hole in your wallet with that too. And I think yeah. that's what's the concern. This is you as the captain of the ship going down with the ship if you decide to do that. And I don't see a whole lot of owners that would be interested in doing that because this is a cash cow for them. Uh, they they go into this business knowing my value of my franchise is going to increase every single year that I remain yeah. in control of this franchise and doing something like this does the opposite. I like this text from the 314 and this is where I'm at. It is wonderful watching the NFL squirm and fight each other, but I still think the NFL finds a way out of it. They always do. That's I don't I, know on this one. I'm always under the assumption. No, I think they're going to have to pay a lot of money, but I'm always under the assumption the NFL finds a way out of something and does the bare minimum of what they have to do, but it is really fun watching the NFL uh continuously fall into a a pit with this because one thing after another it's a roadblock more national outlets are being involved with this now and then on top of it now we get word that they're fighting with each other in their ownership room that to me is is some satisfaction now the rest is going to be the money we get a, bu- a buddy of mine texted me this and it's a great point the irony in all of this is that what Stan Kroenke did 
is he's essentially treating the agreement that they came to on him paying all of the fees the same way that he treated the uh, guidelines for relocation. Yep. They're they're viewing them the exact same way. Oh, that was a guideline. That wasn't actually something I had to follow. Well, if you don't have to follow it, then why would I have to follow this other contractual obligation that I had? He's treating it all the same way. He's like, you know what? I got good lawyers. I'll get out of that. And I'll get out of this, too. Oh, and that other thing? Mm -mm. Nope, I'm not doing that. Stan Kroenke's treating everything the same way. They knew what they were getting into when they went into business with Stan Kroenke, especially with him relocating to L.A. They knew that lawsuits were coming. I don't think that they knew that it was going to be this costly. I don't think that they knew that St. Louis would have this good of a case against the league. But again, are we even here if not for what Jumeirah said? If if they if Kroenke doesn't stand up in front of everyone and lie and say, I'll pay all lawsuit fees, I don't know if we're even here. I don't know if the votes go in favor of it the doesn't. Rams moving to L.A. Definitely. That's doesn't. why this is the nail in the coffin. You I think up- they still move, though. I think it's the Las Vegas Rams. I think eventually if they did not go to L.A., if it ended up being the Raiders and the Chargers and the Carson Project was the one that was financed, I think what you would have seen is a couple years later, the Rams leave for Las Vegas. They still very well may end up having a lawsuit against them. Or another NFL team because you have three teams moving around with two cities, right? The Raiders and Chargers for the Carson uh, in in L.A. But but one of those teams not going to Vegas. Correct. The Rams would have been the one that would have gone to Vegas. But then isn't there one team without a home? No. No, no, It was three teams for two places. Both go to L.A. Oh, I got you. Because that's what both proposals were. That's what they were going to do. I got you. Somehow the Chargers got to go to L.A. no matter what. What what happened here? (laughs) They got the good good situation. We do have a bunch of mic drops on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's start out with Eric, his thoughts on this story. To me, the only way it makes sense is if we get an expansion team with ownership, something like Green Bay, where instead of it being just like a private owner, it's like a community ownership or whatever you call it or government entity or whatnot. I think that's the only way that makes sense. So maybe we can avoid this happening again if we do get a team. That's the hard part, though, because you gotta you got to get the city involved with it, and I don't know if the city's going to be... And county. And county. And I, from everything we've seen in the past of how difficult it was to get the MLS thing through and then the NFL with the stadium situation, uh, that's going to be the toughest part, in my opinion, to get all of this th- to fruition of an NFL team coming back to St. Louis. Yeah, logistically, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's just there There are so many different things that would have to be litigated. There are so many things that would have to be agreed upon. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to imagine. But, yeah, that might be one of the things. You would also probably have to have a privately financed by the league stadium that is put in place here in St. Louis. They would have to finance a new practice facility. Like, all of this stuff is going to be super expensive and it would very likely be St. Louis saying, hey, NFL, you get to pay for that this time. We were going to take the bill last time. Now it's on you because of all of this, because of the way that you messed up. So, yeah, it, it's tough to imagine that happening. But if this continues going down this path, that still might end up being the best route forward for the NFL. And then it comes back to what you said, Alex, does the city Accept it. You Does get the a county stadium. accept you it? You get a stadium. You get a stadium. Everyone gets a stadium. Well, let's hear from Sharon on this story. Let me get this straight. Stan Kroenke lied about something that he promised to do. Ding. Wow, what a shocker. He's never done that before. Ding. If any of those owners are surprised that Stan Kroenke on something that he promised to do, then they're dumber than most of them look. Ding. So, I mean, just add it to the list of the things that that Satan, as I like to call him, does. Being rich does not make you smart. That's something that sometimes we 
we mistake the fact that somebody is wealthy with them being a super bright individual. Being rich does not inherently make you smart. Some of these people are not particularly bright. And they say things that are really dumb, and they do things that are really dumb, well, and they you, trust people that are not trustworthy. Well, then how do you explain Elon Musk? <laughs> well, that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, let's hear from Tyler via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. What? No way. Stan Kroenke backed out of a promise that he made? Come on. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Stan Kroenke clearly only cares about his bottom line. Period. All about numero uno. And that's, there's so much irony in all of this, man. The funny thing is, so do the rest of the owners. Right. Like, why is this an issue with the rest of the owners? Because they're also looking out for their bottom line. Like, they did not look out for the league, necessarily, when they decided to send Stan Kroenke out to L.A. Yeah, it helps the league that they've got this brand new spaceship of a stadium out there that can't be played during a lightning storm, Um, even though it's a dome. What? Okay. No way. <laughs> Thank you. I know, Tyler. That's confusing to me. Um, but they've got a team out in LA that paid for everything. An owner that paid for everything, a $6 billion spaceship of a stadium. That's good for the league. But these lawsuits that are going up against the league right now are not good for the league at all. And now you have an owner out there that is not great for the league as they are now learning. Um, so now what you're, what you're finding out is when Stan Kroenke like, ah, you know what? It's going to be about $100 million a piece. You guys cool with that? And Look, the other owners are like, wait, that's my bottom line now. It was supposed to be your bottom line. Look, Jerry, $100 million out of everyone's pocket is a lot different than $50 billion out of my pocket. That's probably how he views it. And Jerry's like, <laughs> he's right. <laughs> yeah, Jerry's the only one, based on this story, that appears to still be on Stan Kroenke's side. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Tanner, are we getting more mic drops over there? Are there more coming in? Because if there are, we'll stick with this on the other side. We'll talk a little bit more about this story from Seth Wickersham about Stan Kroenke uh, fighting the agreement that he signed to pay all of the fees that are coming well, from this lawsuit. Our favorite, Courtney's got a mic drop. All right, so, so we'll do Courtney. that on the other side. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How do you feel about this? And on the other side, let's make sure we get to this. St. Louis, how would you feel if if the city was offered, I don't know that they will be, but if St. Louis was offered an expansion team and it came with all of the other stuff logistically that we've talked about, right? You've got to have the right ownership group. You've got to have the, the league financing, the stadium and the practice facility. All of that stuff's coming along with it. And you get a team. Do you want it? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. Add it to the list of the things that, that Satan, as I like to call him, does. Right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Well, 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 Stan, old Stan. You know the phrase, karma is a. You can finish it. And this is karma at its best. You all thought of all the money and the dollar signs that was floating through your head when you thought of moving the Rams to L.A., but never did you think of the dollar signs and money that will be coming out of your pocket instead of going in. Oh, how we love to see 
billionaires fight amongst each other. Now it's a bunch of finger pointing. Oh, mic drop of the day. That was Courtney via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed the news of the day, according to ESPN.com, who could have seen this one coming? Stan Kroenke is trying to back away from his promise to cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expenses relating to his team's departure in 2016 from the city of St. Louis. Well, 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 Stan, old Stan. Yeah, who could have seen that one coming? So we were curious, wanted to hear from you. 65780 is the comfort service text line. If this is a huge if and maybe it's only a five to 10 percent chance of even happening. The NFL said, you know what? This is way too much money. Our individual owners now that Stan's not covering it all. Uh, they don't they don't want to settle for billions of dollars. They, each team doesn't want to pay $100 million in a settlement like this. So what if we offered you St. Louis? We'll offer you the expansion team that you're looking for, guaranteed within the next 10 years. Uh, we will build you a stadium. We will build you a practice facility. Uh, you can determine what the ownership group looks like. It is local, uh, and it's guaranteed that for the life of this uh, this team, they will not leave the city of St. Louis. You get all of that. Do you want it, Alex? Yeah, if if everything is falling into place that you just said, absolutely I want it because you're only benefiting the city of St. Louis with all of those things to bring in another pro sport. And we've seen the success rate of having football here in St. Louis. So, yeah, I would love nothing more than that. But the only way I'm going to get that is if all of those things are the outcome. And it has to be everything that you just mentioned because there can't be a loophole because we know how dirty the NFL is. If there's any slight loophole that you're going to be going into with this, they'll find a way to get out of it. Yeah. And you're going to get screwed over once again. And frankly, I don't think the city wants to go through that once again. So yeah, that would be the only way. But if if all of those scenarios are, are in front of me, absolutely I want it. I'm there with you. I am surprised by how many people aren't. I got to be honest. I think it's because they've been burned so many times. You can get burned only so many before you stop. Totally get that. This is different. This would be an expansion team. Be the first time that St. Louis has got its own team with its own ownership group. And it's coming out of a legal obligation. So if ever there was a time, and I know the NFL is not to be trusted. I get that. If anything, we've learned that here in St. Louis. If ever there was a time where you could kind of trust the league, it would be this one. Because if they don't go along with everything that was ordered through the courts, well, if you thought this one could get expensive for them, imagine what that next lawsuit could be when they are directly defying a court order. (laughs) This would be negotiated through a settlement through the courts. So this would be something that they've got to go with. Um, I I would be here for it. The other alternative would be a... God only knows how much in terms of a lump sum of money. And if I'm offered on one hand, a tangible thing that I know what it's going to look like, what it's going to look like, what it's going to mean for the city of St. Louis, uh, how it's going to help things. And we've seen how much financially those eight dates for the NFL team, those can really help those communities that are around the stadium versus the large sum of money that we have no idea how it's going to be spent, how it's going to be reinvested in the city or the county or whatever, how it's going to be paid for the attorneys. Like there's a lot of other stuff that goes into how that money is spent. I'm taking the team. Mm -hmm. And does it 
influence my decision that I'm a sports fan? Absolutely. Does it influence my decision probably that I do this for a living and professionally it'd be great for us if we had a team? No. no why would no. you do that? Yeah. It's that, conflict that, of interest, dude. No, it's... Oh, it, man. It definitely helps influence me in that direction as well, but... You're I, selfish, man. I remember hearing Dan, uh, Danny Mack, talk about this when, when the Rams decided to relocate and he first heard about it. The first thing that he was mad about was not so much that they were leaving or any of that stuff, although he was. It was, man, I used to go down there every Sunday with my kids, and now you're taking that away from me. That was a, a bonding thing between me and my son. Man, I'd like to have that. Like, with your daughter, it'd be pretty damn cool to go to a St. Louis football team's games on Sundays. Mm-hmm. For me, whenever I have a ch- whenever I have kids, I'd love to be able to go to games with my, my not, son or daughter. you're not, dude, because remember the electrocution thing? <laughs> Good point. Tanner. 2030. In 2030, oh, when geez. he has kids. <laughs> and no way you're having a kid in nine years. I'm sure he would like oh. to as well. So I, I totally understand why for some people this is an emotional decision where it's like, no, 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 no. We do not want a team. And I get that. But I do think there could be something that would make sense here. Yeah. It just logistically would be very difficult. So Ben Fred just put this out. Um, Perth Seth Wickersham's report. Um, NFL general counsel Jeff Pash told owners Stan Kroenke tried to settle Rams relocation lawsuit for an undisclosed amount. St. Louis legal team declined comment when asked to confirm that development. B- uh, ben Fred said, interpret that as you will. My interpretation is not enough. And, and if that's the interpretation of trying to settle that for a large amount of money, that tells you that they're going for the throat here. I mean, they're going for the kill shot. And I don't know if that kill shot is a expansion team because they know how, like they know that that's going to continue to benefit the city rather than just getting one lump, some amount of money in court, whatever it may be, it would make the most sense with that expansion team. Because if you get all of these undisclosed variables that are in concrete in paper, in legal documentation of saying like, this is the team for St. Louis and it's not going anywhere. You're talking about you're talking about a bountiful harvest, you're welcome, Mike Schilt, for years to come rather than just one lump sum of money after a lawsuit victory. Yeah, and to to the report that you just mentioned, this is what was written in the ESPN.com article. The legal counsel for the NFL uh and Jerry Jones indicated that Cronkey's settlement figure was in the billions of dollars in terms of what he had offered. Pash, the legal counsel, refused to confirm the figure, but a source with direct knowledge said that uh, it was more than the net worth of some in the room and that it was in the billions. So, I mean, if that's what he's already if that was saying, if if they're offering billions, plural to St. Louis and St. Louis is saying no, you're right. They're going for the jugular on this and they should. And that indicates just how much they believe in their case. And the NFL offering that indicates how much they believe they're screwed. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say, because it's like when you get into a car accident and the guy who hits you gets out of his car and apologizes immediately. It's like, okay, so he knows that he was the one in the wrong here. You know, the fact that he's already offering billions of dollars to St. Louis by saying, hey, look, let's just put this behind us and move forward. That That's just... That's just basically telling the lawyers, no, we're going even further with this one because we know we can get more than that. Yeah, and this is when we talked to Mike Florio about this a couple of weeks ago now, I believe it was. 
he mentioned, hey, it's all about the leverage. And eventually there's going to come a point in time if the NFL thinks, oh, we have no chance of winning this Mm -hmm. or the city has all of the leverage. And that is when the team could actually become a real, real possibility. This is a good point from the 314. You'll never get a better expansion team than the Kraken anyway. Hashtag fear the deep. Seth Wickersham, ESPN senior writer who reported all of this on Stan Kroenke, will be joining the fast lane coming up at 345. We will cross things over with them coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. On Saturday, join Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a special live Last Minute Blues podcast with blues legend Brett Hall. Saturday afternoon at Brett Hall's Junction House in Winsville, Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff are sitting down with the blues legend Brett Hall for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there early, grab a seat, get entered to win for some awesome blues giveaways. It's a live, uncensored last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hole. It's 3 o'clock on Saturday. Get all the details right now over at 101ESPN.com. Time to cross things over with BT. Uh, getting ready for the fast lane coming up here in just about five minutes or so. BT, what's going on, man? Man, nothing. Just living the dream here on a Wednesday. Life is good. How was the show today, boys? It was good. It was good. So I'm... From what I understand, you guys are going to have Seth Wickersham yeah, on the show yeah, coming up at 345. Said, uh, he just said he was in. So we're going to try to make, uh, look, uh, we're going to have Seth, not that this is the case. We're going to have him dumb it down for us, okay? Gonna, like, like what? what is really going on with the whole lawsuit with Kroenke? Apparently Kroenke's not liking to pay his bills right now. It's a billionaire thing to do. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah, billionaire thing to do. I don't want to pay that. I don't want to pay all these legal fees. Only the other owners. off. Well, their owners seem a little pissed off right now. <laughs> so uh, Seth Wickersham, 345, is going to dig into that a little bit further. We'll see what, what the next steps are, how this league is feeling, how they're going to handle Stan Kroenke. Uh, really interested about that because uh, it's a mess. Look, a, a lot of the stuff's not it's not fun to talk about, but I know a, a lot of Rams fans who were dedicated, who uh, you know spent a, a ton of their money and their time and their efforts and PSLs and, and everything mm-hmm. behind a team that got ripped out from under them, well, they'd love to hear a little bit about this today. So 345, Seth Wickersham, he'll be great i'm looking forward to that that is coming up from two to six we'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 espn a trophy this year both make alex happy (laughs) geico asks how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance of course you would and when it comes to great rates on insurance geico can help like with insurance for your car truck motorcycle boat and rv even help with homeowners or renters coverage Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.